Blog Talk Radio. It's time to strap our boots on. This is a perfect day to die. Wipe the blood out of our eyes. In this life, there's no surrender. And there's nothing left for us to do. Find the strength to see this through. Start. If you want to just go right into it, that's uh, that's fine. And 
Uh, we'll, we'll, of course, we'll go from there. I'll probably ask a few questions about myself and some of the, the callers here, but go ahead. All right. Um, you know, I, I don't know exactly the format and how long I should talk, but we uh, I'll, I'll keep this as concise as I can. <laughs> All right. Well, look, uh, I mean, we're obviously in a, in a profound crisis. Um, we have an ongoing coup d'etat against President Donald Trump and against constitutional government in the United States. Um, the, the president currently, Donald Trump, he's getting hit from all sides, from everywhere. Um, I mean, the House of Representatives voted to impeach him based on lying documents that have been manufactured by British intelligence uh, and conduited through the Democratic Party. And, in, and you know, just in recent days, you know, the, the mass media, the Democratic Party, and increasingly um, the really the Bush-Cheney networks – um, you know, as in the figure of John Bolton, are showing their true colors. Um, they, all of these people, I mean, this is the swamp Trump, Trump pledged to clean out. And it's not just the Democrats. You know, it's in the intelligence agencies, it's in the Democratic Party, almost universally, and it's in this establishment wing, neocon wing of the Republican Party. They want Trump out. They'll do anything to get him out. Now, what I'm going to speak about is one aspect of this, just one aspect of it, which is the, um, the effort now underway um, to portray Donald Trump a racist and to essentially put forward the argument that the United States of America was founded by racists and slave owners, uh, and that this is our heritage, that there's nothing good about it, that we should all be ashamed of it, we should tear down the statues, etc. Now, I just wrote an article on this. This is, well, I will just preface this by saying, this is a subject I have studied for years. I'm not a young person. I have studied this for years. Um, I have gone back and read letters, diaries, newspaper articles from the fa before the founding of our country right up through the Lincoln administration. This is a subject I know in depth. Um, and I recently wrote an article called The Idea of America. And what I have to say is that what is being put forward right now by organizations such as Black Lives Matter and and you know and what is being you know screamed out by people who are tearing down statues all of this is a gigantic big lie joseph goebbels would have been proud um there is not a shred of truth in what is being said not a, not a shred of truth now the story is far too long to go through in this interview uh in this discussion but I'll just make a couple of points. Actually, there's three points I want to make. One is that slavery did not begin in the United States of America. If you go back throughout human history into pre-recorded history, I mean, recorded history, you know, only begins, you know, three, four, five, at most 5,000 years ago, five, 6,000 years ago. 
Um, and it's pretty scanty when you go back that far. But if you go through the entirety of recorded human history, slavery always existed. It was universal. It was everywhere in the world. There was slavery in China, in India, in Africa, in the Arab world, the Islamic world, in Europe, in North and South America, among the Native Americans. Slavery was a universal practice. It was not brought to the New World by the big bad Europeans and the American colonists. Um, the uh, 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 Slavery is essentially a product of oligarchical rule, of oligarchy, of empire. And these people have, uh, throughout many different cultures, in many different ways, um, slavery has been part of an imperial oligarchical system. And the fact is, if you go out, if you go through the entirety of recorded human history, most societies, most cultures, most tribes, um, most nations, until very, very recently, were oligarchical societies in which the vast majority of people were treated like cattle. Uh, and the this is this is the fact of the matter. Um, I mean, for instance, the transatlantic slave route that took uh, uh, slaves out of Africa and brought them into North and South America. Um, you know, the estimate is that this was probably 10, 12 million slaves who were taken out of Africa in the transatlantic trade route. But no one ever mentions that over a period of 800 years, the Islamic and Arab states took more than 15 million slaves out of Africa. Um, uh, there were also millions of Europeans who were enslaved in uh, the Islamic world. But it's not a question of pointing figures. Look, when before any slaves were taken out of Africa by the Portuguese, the Spanish, later the Dutch, and then later the British, before any slaves were taken out of Africa, slavery already existed in Africa. There was slavery among all, almost all of the tribes and, the, and whatever passed as nation states. When Columbus came to America in 1492, when the, when the pilgrims landed at Plymouth Rock in 1620, there were already slaves here. All of the Indian tribes engaged in slavery, or Native American tribes engaged in slavery. Some of it, like with the Aztecs, was extraordinarily brutal and murderous. Um, this was universal throughout the planet, in every corner of the planet, at the time that Columbus came to America, came to the Western Hemisphere. Um, it was not brought here by Europeans. Now, that's number one. Um, number two is who brought the slaves here? Well, one thing that most people have no idea of is that of these 10 to 12 million slaves who were brought across the Atlantic to the Western Hemisphere, only about 3% of them 
came to North America. About 380, 390,000 of them came to North America. 97% of them were sent to the sugar plantations, the silver mines, and other places in the Caribbean, in Mexico, and in South America, mostly by the Spanish and Portuguese. And these were brutal, absolutely brutal. Life expectancy was four to five years. Now, who brought the slaves to North America? How did they get here? The colonists didn't bring them with them. How did the slaves get here? They were brought here by the first the Dutch Empire through the Dutch West India Company, and then later through the British Empire, through the British African Company. Um, the slaves were brought here you know, let's take the slave trade that the British ran. It was run by the British monarchy, that is the king himself, the Privy Council, uh, the um, the, the, uh, uh, the royal governors in the individual colonies. Um, this, this is who ran the slave trade. Now, what most people don't know is that when the British started bringing – the British were the biggest slave traders in human history um, by far. Um, more than half of the slaves that were taken out of Africa by the European empires were taken out by the British. Um, uh, and most of this was in the 18th century. Uh, and the British, um, when they started shipping large numbers of, of slaves to the 13 colonies – a number of colonies, not one, not two, but, you know, uh, 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 I think it was five colonies, um, passed laws uh, to, to ban this trade, saying we don't want the slaves. We don't want them here. Those laws were all nullified by the British Crown and by the Privy Council in London, and the slaves were shipped in. Um in 1660, the British set up the Royal Africa Company. What also happened during this time, when the colonies were first formed, they were many of these colonies were sort of semi-independent or autonomous. Um, uh, they had uh, char some of them were charter colonies, um, you know, uh, uh, and then there were there were a couple of other different kinds of colonies. But a number of these colonies had a great deal of self-rule. All of that was done away with by the British um, in the, in, uh, after 1713, uh, actually beginning earlier, beginning with Massachusetts in 1688, where the British began um, revoking all of the colonial charters and imposing royal governors. And the imposition of royal governors was done um, hand in hand with the massive escalation of the shipment of slaves to the colonies. Now, what were the British doing? The, in, in the Caribbean, which is where the money really was, because this was the, the, the giant sugar plantations in the Caribbean. I mean, the British had one of the most brutal sugar plantation operations going in Barbados. They had others in Jamaica, in Antigua. Um, I mean, there were gigantic numbers of slaves there. Um, and the British had created, the British Empire, a slave-based economy. 
And what they decided to do, beginning first in 1660, then after 1688, and then full bore after 1713, is the British said, we're going to take this slave-based economy that we have created in the Caribbean, and we're going to duplicate it in the 13 colonies. And we're going to bring, we're going to create a slave-based economic system, slave labor-based economic system in the 13 colonies. This was all decided in London. This all came from London, from the highest levels of the British aristocracy. And uh, the, um, so the third point I want to make, the first was on the universality of slavery. The second was the fact that slavery um, was entirely an imperial policy imposed on the colonies. The third point I want to make is what happened with the American Revolution. Um, the uh, uh, the uh, um, in 1776, we had a Declaration of Independence that said all men are created equal. Um, uh, the um, in ten years of the founding of the United States of America, within ten years, the majority of the colonies abolished slavery. Now, you know you could say, well, what about the rest of them? You can say, you can make all kinds of things. People make all kinds of stupid arguments, false arguments. But let's look at the fact that within 10 years of the Declaration of Independence, over half of the colonies had abolished slavery. Nothing like this had ever happened before in the history of the entire human species going back 5,000 years. No one had ever done this. Now, there might have been a king or a brewer here and there who did some good things, but that's not what happened in the United States. What happened in the United States was that free people, free citizens with the right to vote, voted to abolish slavery. This had never happened before in human history. And the fact is, it was widely understood by the best of the founding fathers um, that, the, that the American Revolution had to include the elimination of slavery. Um, the first abolition society in the United States was founded by John Jay and Alexander Hamilton, both of whom became members of George Washington's cabinet. The second abolition society in the United States was founded by Benjamin Franklin, uh, you know, who arguably was the person most responsible for the American Revolution. These people understood that slavery was incompatible with the principle of the American Revolution. At the Constitutional Convention, Governor Morris, who was an extremely close friend of George Washington and an extremely close friend of Alexander Hamilton gave a long speech at the Constitutional Convention, which you can read. It's available, in which he attacks slavery as a nefarious institution. In 1787, they passed the Northwest Ordinance to ban slavery in the Northwest Territory. It is a huge area of land. 
huge area of land. Slavery had been legal there under British rule, and the and the and the uh, the uh, uh, Congress passed the Northwest Territory to to um, uh, Northwest Ordinance to abolish slavery there. Uh, th- by 1794, every state in the United States, this and the, in 1794, the United States of America, the Republic of the United States of America, had only been in existence for three years. And in 1794, every state in the United States shut down the slave trade. In 1790, Alexander Hamilton and Benjamin Franklin, and this was only about three months before Benjamin Franklin died. This is one one of the last things he did. In 1790, Alexander Hamilton and Benjamin Franklin drafted a petition, which they got all kinds of very influential people to sign, uh, which was submitted to Congress to abolish slavery by 1808. That was the intention. That was what they were determined to do. You know, this was America, the temple of hope and the beacon of liberty for all mankind. Look, up until 1776, we lived in a world governed by oligarchy, by empire, And in 1776, we created a nation based on freedom, and it was intended for everyone. Now, what happened afterwards is a long story, but essentially, with the election of Jefferson and then Madison and Monroe, you got 24 years of rule by the uh, Virginia slave owners and then things went from bad to worse. In 1816, uh, a, a, an organization was created called the American Colonization Society, which ostensibly was organized to send freed slaves back to Africa. But that's a joke. They sent about 4,000 slaves back to Africa out of 4 million. The purpose of the American Colonization Society was to stop the abolition of slavery. They, they led riots. They uh, murdered people. They shut down pro-abolition newspapers. Um, um, You know, they burnt houses to the ground. They burnt churches to the ground, Um, uh, not just of black people, but of any white people supporting abolition. Um, There were hundreds of abolition societies in the South fighting for abolition. They were all shut down. Uh, You know, uh, their leaders were killed or jailed. Uh, this was a counter-revolution. It was a counter-revolution against what was intended by the American Revolution. So, you know, there's a lot more I could say on this. I mean, look, under Andrew, under Andrew Jackson um, in 1829, 1830, 1831, um, they began this thing of, of um, opening up all of the federal mails. Where, where any letters, or let's put it this way, any abolition newspapers that were being sent to the South were seized in the mails and then not allowed to go through. Letters that they suspected might contain abolitionist sentiments were seized, put in red, and, and if they contained anything objectionable, they were not allowed to go through. This was done at the order of the President of the United States. But this was all, you know, a counter-revolution. And why was it going on? Because after, 18, after the War of 1812, 
after the War of 1812. Um, Alabama, Mississippi, then Arkansas, then later Texas, um, were brought in as slave states. And what, and, and what happened there? What happened was the creation of the cotton economy, the cotton belt, this huge swath of land from Georgia through Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, uh, over into Texas, um, the creation of the cotton economy, which was a, a slave labor-based economic system. This cotton economy was financed entirely from London, and 80% of the cotton was shipped to England. So what they were creating in the South was the same slave labor economic system, except instead of sugar, it was cotton that had existed earlier in the Caribbean, in Barbados and elsewhere. This was a British slave labor cotton economy financed and run through London. And this was a, an attempt to destroy the United States. Um, the British Empire, their friends on Wall Street and other places have stood against the founding idea of this country was. Look, the, the pilgrims, you know, uh, you know, people know almost nothing about the pilgrims. Now, I'm sure... Very few people know that this year is the 400th anniversary of the pilgrims landing at Plymouth Rock. Now, this used to be celebrated. In 1920, on the 300th anniversary, there were great celebrations. Um, Today, you know, people say, oh, they came here to kill the Indians and bring slavery. It's just, it's unbelievable the lies that are told. The pilgrims fled England in 1608 to escape from the British monarchy. And then they fled Holland in 1620 to escape from the British, from the Dutch Empire. And they came to the New World. And almost no one in this country today did anything that was written by the pilgrims. Were they religious? They were devoutly religious. But they also talk about creating a society in which people can live in freedom, creating a society based on reason, based on the fact that they recognize that every human being has, has a, a rational identity, is made in the image of God, has, has a, a potential for, for, for creativity. And they said, we're going to go to a place where we can create a society where people can actually develop their, their, their God-given capabilities, where they're free to do that. And that was the idea in 1620. And that was the idea in 1776. And what we're seeing now is just lies, just outright lies. Everything that's being said is lies. So that's almost uh, half the show, I think. So, I, I mean, I could. There's a lot more I could say, but um, if you got, if there are questions or people want to say something, I think this would be a good place to stop. Um, uh, uh, what do you think, Robert? Uh, 
Well, I mean, yeah, certainly we can do this, but I definitely want to hear more because I mean, I've been sitting here utterly fascinated because you know they don't even. I mean, they don't teach this in schools anymore, and, and I'm not that young. And I'll be honest, I don't even remember. Now, of course, it's been a long time ago, so maybe it's just a, a part of forgetting. Um, not that I'm on league with Biden or anything else, but uh, I don't even recall them ever teaching this in school, or even when my daughter was in grade school, I don't remember them teaching anything like this uh, at all. And we do have a couple callers, and we have uh, Joe Spin as well as Kelly, uh, who you'd like to chime in, so we'll uh, get them all in. But, yeah, I'd like to uh, certainly hear more, and especially the part where – and this I, I don't ever hear, and I, I wish more of this would actually get out uh, for people to learn this. Uh, not only about you talk about the royal governors you know, and the slave economy, how they actually brought the slave economy here uh, from Great Britain, but also the cotton economy. Of course, we've heard about all yeah. cotton was a big, you know, uh, big industry then, uh, but they didn't really tell about, you know, how it was, you know, based out of, you know, out of London and how 80% yeah. of it well, was the, to, the cotton, to them. Yeah. The cotton economy was, ba- was financed out of three places. It was primarily financed out of, out of London, secondarily out of Wall Street, uh, around people like August Belmont, who were – Kind of like the J.P. Morgan. He was like the J.P. Morgan of his day, you know, before J.P. Morgan. He was a British allied banker. And then the third place where it was financed was out of New Orleans because what they did was they created um, a very large banking center in New Orleans, which worked with London and Wall Street. And they financed not only the cotton economy, but the spread of the cotton economy to more and more areas, um, which then required more slaves since it was a slave labor system. But look, why don't we take the questions and comments and then, you know, if there's time left, I can, I can say more. Okay. Well, certainly if we, and if you have time and uh, want to, we can, if we bleed it to the other hour, well, that's the organic nature of, of the show. <laughs> Parts logic. Let's go. Sure. Okay. Joseph. Uh, Great, right. from Hawaii. Uh, thank you very much, Joseph, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Uh, good, Robert. Always a pleasure to be on. How about you? Oh, doing all right, doing all right. Um, you know, just you know, a lot of things coming at us, not just here, but, you know, I'll give an update since you, you kind of brought it up. Um, I'm, I'm going to find out probably tomorrow uh, about my daughter's uh, surgery, so I don't know if – late upcoming Wednesday that'll be that I may not be able to do a show uh, due to that. I'm going to find out tomorrow about that. So uh, so a lot of things getting thrown at us, Joseph, <laughs> both personally and politically. You've been my thoughts ahead. and my prayers. You, you both of you are my you. thoughts and my prayers, and I know you will overcome it. So um, uh, I, I want to thank Bob for coming on the show, Bob. Um this is something that should be expected to be learned or taught by professors who are his, uh, his, uh, historians such as yourself, Bob. This is what we're supposed to learn going into college. This is what should be expected going into college, uh, learning the real history, uh, not the distorted version that professors for over 40 years have hijacked at one of the most prestigious universities, if you go to Columbia or you go to Harvard or you go to MIT, all of these Ivy League universities and they're right, but professors who have hijacked our history, 
who have hijacked our curriculum and have distorted the truth and for many decades have given a totally different version, which goes to my point that the truth is the truth, good or bad. And it's impossible to refute the truth, but it's very easy to distort the truth. And, um, you know, you, you speak of truth. It's very obvious that, uh, you know, you, this, this is your line of work. You are, uh, you know, a, a scholar in, in U.S. history. And I think that's what's the problem is um, he brought up an interesting um, example of Joseph Goebbels. And I've also brought him up on this show many times. He was a master of propaganda for the Nazis. Uh, and his job was to make the German people believe that, um, you know, the Jewish people were were the root of all the problems of Germany. And therefore, that was the justification of having to, uh, you know, get rid of the um, the, the Jewish people. But he, he, if he was able to sway a whole nation into believing that, uh, imagine the power that the left has today. It's just amazing. They say something and everyone believes it like gospel because they choose to. They don't want to seek the truth. They really wanted to seek the truth. The truth is there. It's lying right in front of them, in front of their face. Or they could go to uh, his, his historian scholars such as yourself, or they can go to a library. The truth is not so hard to find. It's just very hard to find when you don't want to find it. And so, Bob, I thank you for your time, and I wish there were more professors like you. I, I don't know that you are a professor, but I wish that universities would, would pave the way for uh, people like you to actually teach the real version of our of our history instead of the distorted version, which is why you have so many people easily brainwashed today. They have grown up believing that historically we are a nation that has committed many injustices and atrocities, and they make us uh, they make us feel shameful of being an American instead of being proud of an American. And once again, that is a distortion of the truth, and that is the propaganda machine of the left that's been operating not for eight years, not for 10 years, but I'd say at least over 100 years easily. Um, this did not just snowball within eight years of the Obama administration, that's for sure. Um, so, Bob, I wanted to ask you, have you ever taught or done any seminars or do you have any teaching background where you've been able to also share um, your historical knowledge uh, to other people, other individuals uh, well, that are interested in learning the truth? Well, I've done uh, seminars and classes and things like that uh, and writing. Um, I've spoken at some conferences, but no, I'm not. Uh, I'm not a teacher at a university. I, I don't have teaching credentials, uh, so uh, uh, this is all uh, essentially a a life of uh, research and uh, and working on 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 these issues. Um, the um, you know, I mean, it's it's 
I mean, you mentioned the Nazis. I mean, look, uh, you know, in, in a certain sense, this whole race thing now, I mean, this is, in a certain kind of way, I'm not calling these people Nazis, but what is being argued is really almost a Nazi approach because what they're saying is that um, the races, people, black, white, I don't know, Chinese, Eskimo, whatever, you know, I, I, I don't, whoever I'm leaving out, that we have separate identities, that we have sep that, that we're essentially not even really the same species, that we have, you know, that, that we're separated um, almost like there's a wall between us because of our skin. Um, and really, that's what the Nazis said. They said, you know, uh, the, the, the Jews are not Germans. The Jews are not really even the same race as the Germans. Um, they're subhuman species or something. And, and and you had Jews who had lived in Germany um, for hundreds and hundreds of years, um, you know, who spoke German, who, who were German, but they were also Jewish. And they said no. You know this idea of dividing people by race. Um, this is this is wrong. Uh, you know we're a human species. Um, you know, and there's one thing that differentiates all of us, regardless of our nationality or culture, from every other creature on the planet, which is that we're capable of creativity. We're capable of higher reasoning. Um, we're capable of creating something entirely new. Uh, we're capable of going to the moon, maybe going to Mars like Elon Musk wants to do. Um, and this is, you know, this is the human species. And uh, I don't even think uh, race is a legitimate, uh, you know, a legitimate characterization of anything. Because we're all bound together as one human species. Um so the um, anyway, uh, let me just stop there. And there was, uh, I think, another person on the line who wanted to say something. Yeah, we got. Uh, of course, as you know, Joseph, uh, we'll keep your line open for our, our you know, roundtable discussion here. Uh, yes, we do have Kelly uh, from California, so a little bit closer to to my neck of the woods. Not much, but I think uh, your neck of the woods, at least, Bob, there in California. Um, but uh, thank you very much, uh, Kelly, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Good, good, good. Last week we had 101 degrees, but uh, that happens every year. So, um, yeah. Bob, I appreciate you coming on the show. That was a wow. And if I was, um, let's see, if I were to look through the eyes of appreciation, I would be like, wow, um, America would did amazing things. And I, I knew myself that Pennsylvania, I think it was in 1750 or 1760s, Pennsylvania, the colonial legislature outlawed, uh, outlawed slavery. And then the king of England at the time said, nope, your law is nullified. Um, so you could see the yeah. heart of it. And then the 18 – was it 1808 where Jefferson signed it, uh, a bill by Congress that outlawed the importation of slaves? Um, the uh, – I, um, I got a 
black friend, really neat guy, works for National Archives, and I sent him a text, did you know about this? He said, well, yes. I'm like, oh, okay, that would have been nice to know. Um, but we go back into the 1600s. Uh, Cromwell, general from England, I'm su- kind of surprised you didn't mention this, but uh, I'm actually of Irish descent, and uh, they had uh, Cromwell and his and his army had taken uh, a bunch of slaves from Ireland and shipped them into the colonies and and in the Caribbean. Um, that's why you have some mulatto, if you will, in in Caribbean genetics. Um, so that's a really fascinating, and it was millions. Um, they somewhat decimated the uh, Irish population. And then the British didn't like the Irish. There was laws on the books that if, like in London, if you killed an Irishman, yeah, so what? You're not even brought to trial or not arrested or nothing. They had some horrifying feuds back then, and the Irish were definitely lesser people in the minds of the British. Um, so, and then the other, if we go the appreciation route, what about my great, great, great something grandfather who fought in the Union to help free the slaves in the South? Um, I, I would really hope for, and, and my friend, he's, he's black, neat guy, I've been friends since college, but he, he has a nice phrase, it's called racial reconciliation. Um, so I just wanted to throw that out to you. Um, about the Irish and other in the big picture uh, what did you know about the Irish slave trade yeah I know about it Um, and I know about what you're referring to Um, you know and the uh, you know I just you know I have pages and pages of stuff here I haven't mentioned so I I just didn't bring that up but um, look I mean if you look at the I mean, there were, I I don't know how many slaves were taken out of Africa between the Arabs and the Europeans. I mean, you know, you could say 25 million or something, um, maybe, um, maybe a little more, maybe not quite that much. Um, But the reality is, if you look at um, the totality of human history, um, you know, African slaves would be less than 50% of the total number of slaves in human history. And I don't even want to try to guess what percentage it would be, but there was slavery everywhere. Um, uh, You know, the Irish were enslaved in uh, huge numbers by the British, Um, you know, and it it was under Cromwell, but it it really was only marginally better under the Stuarts. Um, The, uh, the, um, uh, and, and, you know, and, and everywhere. I mean, look, the Aztecs, they had this practice where, you know, the, the Aztecs were kind of like the Romans. You know, they started out as a small tribe, and then they became a huge empire by just conquering one tribe after another. And what they would do is um, when they conquered a tribe, they would kill all the adult men, and they would just enslave all the rest. Um, they would become not just conquered but they would become slaves, uh, all the, all the children and all the women. Um, and they did this repeatedly. Oh, you know, uh, but you know, the, uh, this is oligarchism and people don't want to talk about this today because I mean, it's like this thing of saying, you know, has the United States ever done bad things in its history? Of course, the United States has done bad things in its history, but who, who, I mean, you just take the United States 
and, and condemn it as a nation? Who in the United States? What forces in the United States? Um, you know, and the, uh, it's been a battle from the very beginning. Um, the, you, you know, there is no question that the intention from the beginning was to create a self-governing republic in which the abolition of slavery would have been included and, 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 and to develop an economy, um, a productive economy, in which people would have opportunities for development. I mean, it's really based on this concept of what it means to be human. Because the, the you know, the, 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 in the pilgrims, in people like Franklin and Hamilton and others, you have this recognition that human beings have innate capabilities of reason, rationality, creativity, that we can develop science, we can develop things that will move the human race forward. Whereas in an oligarchical system, you have the elite who are very small in number, ruling over essentially cattle. Um, and the idea is to keep them as dumb and stupid as possible uh, and enslave them in whatever way you can. Like today, you have many forms of slavery today, including debt slavery. Um, many of these countries in Africa or elsewhere are so far in debt, it, it's, it's almost impossible for them to, to develop their economies. And then even in the United States or in Europe, these supposedly place, you know, advanced places, you, you have uh, tens of millions of people, maybe hundreds of millions, who are who are uh, massively in debt, and 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 there's no way of getting out of it. Um, this is debt slavery, um, and this is well, how it works. Me, but well, yeah. well, let me just finish. So you okay. have to go after the oligarchy. You have to go after the financial elite. Who have these policies um, of, uh, 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 of of maintaining an oligarchical system in which people are kept backwards and people are killed, um, you know, and and that has been the fight since the American Revolution, and really that's the fight today. That is the fight today, you know. Oh, yeah. it, 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 you know, and the. Um, and 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 of course, people have been brainwashed. What the previous? I, I don't I, I don't remember people's names, but the previous caller was talking about the, the miseducation in the country. You know, uh, this is the case. If you send your, you know, you, you have a son or a daughter and you want to do right by them and you want to give them a lot of opportunity, you know, so you say, oh, well, you know, they're not going to get anywhere with a, without a college education, so I'll, I'll pay, I'll go in debt, pay to send them to college. Um, and they go to college. And what are they taught? They're taught that um, America was founded by racist and slave owners, that America has always been a slave-owning society, uh, you know, always been a racist society, that it's just evil. This is what they're taught in Harvard, in Columbia, in, in Stanford. It's, it's just unbelievable, it, it, frankly, you know. Oh, yeah. So anyway, yeah, wanted... anyway go, go ahead. Yeah. What were you going to say? I got, a, got another question, but, you know, when people say the founding fathers were – Racist. I say, can you name four signers of the Constitution that were slave owners? Well, there was Jefferson and Washington. I think, yeah, they stop at three because there's only three. There's only three that signed the Constitution that were slave owners. And 
Yeah, the Jefferson's first draft of independence, he wanted to free the slaves, but that would have alienated the South at the time. And you know, all sorts of facts. You know, the Democrat Party was was the ones that formed the KKK. Senator Byrd, who Hillary loves, um, was was one of the I think the president of the KKK or way up, high up on the KKK. You know, this whole thing has been reversed. But I, I got a, a kind of a stumper question for you. Um, the Muslims, well, can, I mean, they, they can enslaved I, can, Europe. Can, can I respond just to that, just one second? To what well, you sure, said? Yeah, 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 yeah. The um, look, uh, Jefferson is a is a problematical figure. You know, you know. He was pro-slavery, but then he thought, you know, he had moral qualms about it. He's a mixed bag. Jefferson's a mixed bag. Madison was really no good at all, and uh, he he was, I mean, he was part of the. He he played a big role in this counter-revolution in in launching uh, the, the massive spread of slavery. But what I want to get to is this question: Look, you're you're freeing slaves. Something which has never been done before in human history. How do you, how do you mm-hmm. go about doing it? How do you go about doing it? So they were they were feeling their way. They were doing different things. Now people point to George Washington and say, well, Washington owned slaves. And then some people say, yeah, but he freed him in his will. But then, of course, it doesn't satisfy people because they think, well, he had slaves working. You know, there, these people grew up, grew to adulthood in British colonies. You know, you realize in 1774, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and the rest of these guys were not Americans. They were British subjects. You know, they lived in British-ruled land. They were British subjects. Yeah. And then they decide they're going to declare their independence, and they're going to get rid of slavery, which existed in all 13 colonies because – of the British. It was imposed on the colonies by the British, but it existed in all 13 colonies. And a lot of these people owned slaves, not not all of them, but you know, some of them did. So, there there how do you get rid of it? You know? Now Washington was virulently anti-slavery. This is just another big lie. Virulently anti-slavery. I mean, first of all, the people he worked the closest with. Hamilton John Jay, Governor Morris, these are the people who made up his administration when he became president, were leading abolition societies. Adams. Um, Adams. I'll tell you two letters that Washington wrote. Um, Alexander Hamilton's closest friend was a guy named John Lawrence, L-A-U-R-E-N-S. He was about Hamilton's age, you know, very young during the Revolution and John Lawrence came from one of the biggest slave-owning families in, in uh, South Carolina, one of the biggest slave-owning families. But turns out he was against slavery. So Lawrence was a soldier in the American Revolution, and he was actually killed in one of the last battles of the Revolution. But while he was a soldier in the American Revolution, he was also a member, an elected member of the South Carolina legislature. And before he was killed, During the Revolutionary War, John Lawrence introduced a bill in the South Carolina legislature to abolish slavery in South Carolina. When he he introduced that bill, George Washington sent him a letter, and I've read the letter, congratulating him and saying how Washington was 
thrilled and overjoyed that John Lawrence had introduced this bill to abolish slavery because slavery had to be gotten rid of if if we were going to have a new country. Now, after the revolution, the Marquis de Lafayette, the famous Lafayette who had fought for us, um, this is after the American Revolution. Lafayette in the 17, I don't know, late 1780s or I think in the late 1780s, he bought a plantation on one of the islands in the Caribbean. It was a, a sugar plantation or some other kind of plantation. The first thing Lafayette did was free the slaves on the plantation. And wow. then he said, I'm only, he said, I'm going to hire people to work on this plantation. I'm going to pay them. And he, and he freed all the slaves who were on the plantation. He sent a letter to Washington explaining that he had done that. Washington sent a letter back to him, almost identical to the letter, of the letter he sent to John Lawrence, saying, I'm, I, I, you know, I'm, this is great. This is a, a magnificent thing you have done. And this is what we have to do in America. That's George Washington. And, but instead, people go on his, to his statues today and paint on his statues, slave owner. I mean, this is just total incompetence, you know? I mean, it's just such, you know, nonsense. And, you and, and when I – have I written a book on – I've written a lot of articles on it, you know? I, uh, <laughs> it's, not hard, it's not hard to get published. Robert, give him my phone number after the show. Please. Yeah. I'm a public yeah, we'll author. Do. All right. So the uh the um so anyway, I mean the one thing I do want to mention um before we wrap it up and then anyone else could talk is I don't want to make this just about history. The history is important and fascinating. But, you know, uh the reason why I wrote this most recent article is because of the you know, the attempt going on right now to overthrow the government of the United States and to overthrow the Trump administration, um, because that's what we're living in, is a coup d'etat. Um, oh. and, and, and to bring in, you know, Biden and whoever he chooses. And uh, I mean, look, they tried to impeach Trump. didn't They couldn't do it. So now the idea is to destroy him politically between now and the election. And this race thing is part of it, you know, and it's continuing. Um, you know, so that's I, I just want to make sure we don't lose sight of that. So, okay, yeah, but anyway, well, that, that leads to my another my last my question that I was trying to get out. And, and I'm, I'm I'm going to chime in real quick. And certainly they are. They're trying everything they possibly can uh, to beat uh, to beat Trump. But I think it's it's far beyond uh, you know just being the Democrats. It's not just the Democrats that have tried to beat them. You know, we hear about the deep state or whatever you want to call them. Uh, but certainly, yeah. you know, they're certainly involved yeah. in that. Go ahead. I just want Look, to try some to of these, some of these. Uh, before your last question, some of these um, real snakes in the Republican Party are coming out of the woodwork now. Um, look, I, you know, it doesn't matter what you think about China or what you think about North Korea or what you think about Russia. What Trump has said is, I'm not going to have any more wars like this Iraq War. We're not going to have any more regime change things like we had under Obama and Bush. Um, I'm going to try to make peace with countries. You know, now you don't just make peace with your friends. You know, you make peace with your enemies. Um, 
And, you know, um, this doesn't go over well in some parts of the intelligence community. It doesn't go over well at the highest echelons of the British establishment. Um, and I'm not talking about Boris Johnson here. I'm talking more about British intelligence. And it doesn't go over well among some people for whom war is a profitable business. Um, these people want Trump out, you know, and um, the, uh, uh, you know, John Bolton is just, you know, he's just the most obvious case. But, you know, is it Cheney's daughter, who's now in Congress, I think? Um, she just gave a vicious, Dick Cheney's daughter, she just gave a vicious anti-Trump speech. Um so this is this is a, a massive operation. Well, yeah, so anyway, the, the state. I mean, I was a, I was a big supporter of Bush, uh, and, and now I'm to be honest, I'm ashamed to admit it. I mean, I supported him through his campaign. I campaigned for him uh, for Bush both times. And I tell you what, I mean, hell, I think I'd rather add Gore in there now after seeing what uh, you know. Not that it probably would have made any difference. Uh, you know, I mean, seriously. You know, and that's the thing. I've heard people say this on our show. We had one guy come on, and you know, he he don't like the Republicans or the Democrats. And I mean, he, he said he wouldn't vote for any Republicans. And normally, you know, I don't like to vote for him either. Uh, just you know, unfortunately, then you know, you, you, we, the Republicans got to take the House back, uh, or and then reelect you know Trump, or else we're going to get them just the same three years as we just had, three, four years we've just had, if if Trump does get reelected and then the House, you know, it stays with the Democrats, I mean, it's going to be the same thing for the next four years. And, yeah, it's yeah, there's warfare. And, and, yeah. And, yeah, I mean, it's – and we're talking about, you know, of course, this is Bush's vice president's daughter. You know, it's, they're all in the same – they're all in the same bed together. They're all, you know, globalists who pretend that they're, you know, pro-American, but we're, we're finding out now that they're really not. And they never have been, and that's why they're so yeah. against Trump because Trump is only the true, uh, real American president. Let that sink in yeah. some people's yeah, heads. Yeah, yeah. So was um, was were you, yeah? Go ahead, go ahead. And my my question, and this leads to Antifa, which I recently heard a rumor. Well, I heard two rumors. One was that. Uh, Biker's going to go up to Seattle and clean up, but they've cleaned up, uh, Seattle cleaned up the Chaz zone or the chop zone. And then you have Antifa. What the other rumor I heard was that the um, on the 4th of July, as fireworks are, gonna, are going off, they're going to shoot people to cover the sound. Now, what's strange to me is the left is lining up with Muslims big time. Um, I don't know how many Muslims they have in Congress, but uh, it's two questions, and they're related. Are the Muslims still doing slavery and the slave trade in certain Muslim countries? And number two, if this is the case, why are the Democrats and Antifa lining up with the Muslims? Or are well, is Antifa, look, uh, we know yeah. Democrats are. But I don't know if Antifa is lining up with the Muslims. This is this doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Well, look. I mean, I would just caution you to uh, you can't talk about the Muslims. It's like you know people saying America committed all these crimes. Well, who in America? You know, and what what faction? And what what banker? You know, what part of Wall Street? What part of our intelligence community? Um, you know, you know. 
you know, the Islamic world stretches from, you know, Malaysia and Indonesia all the way over to Algeria. And it is by no means uniform. Um, you know, the, uh, um, the, the fact is that um, a lot of these, these Islamic terrorist groups, I mean, certainly Al-Qaeda, I know less about ISIS, but Al-Qaeda was created entirely by Western intelligence agencies, by the CIA and British MI6. Um, uh, you know, and a lot of these, a lot of these terrorist groups, you know, you, you know, it's very suspect who finances them and, and who's really pulling their strings. They're used. They're used to create certain, uh, look, you know, it's like in the United States. How do you prevent working people in the United States who really have the same interest at heart from from fighting the deep state, from fighting the financial oligarchy? Uh, you get them to fight each other, you know, um, and uh, you get white people to fight black people or to fight Mexican people. So you get people who really have a common interest at heart fighting each other. Um, and the same thing is done around the world where, you know, um, Trump wants to have a peaceful relationship with China. Now, Trump's a tough negotiator, you know, and, and, and so it, it may be very rocky, but he's committed to it. He wants a good relationship with Russia, which we should have. He's, I mean, look, I mean, during the Cold War, you know, when everyone was thinking we were going to have a nuclear war at almost any moment, Khrushchev and, uh, and and Eisenhower talked more often than Trump and Putin because they recognized that, you know, um, if you wanted world peace, you had to talk to each other. Um, so what you get are these, these games that are played um, to try to prevent that kind of dialogue from going on. So you, you, do, you get Muslim extremists who create a war, and then all of a sudden, you know, the United States and Russia are on opposite sides. Well, who who did that? Why why was it done? Um, you know the, but the Islamic world is not a uniform thing. You know, look, there are, um, uh, you know the, uh, uh, you know, I mean, Egypt. You know the, uh, they brought in this Muslim Brotherhood government, which was pro-terrorist, and then it, and then. The army carried out a coup to remove them, and the government that's in there now is, you know, I'm not saying it's great, but it's not a terrorist government. Um, and um, but it's 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 a mixed bag. As to slavery, slavery really existed in the Ottoman Empire right up until the First World War, till the end of the Ottoman Empire. So right up until 1918, 1919, 1920. Slavery was, there were open slave markets in the Ottoman Empire. Um, that doesn't exist anymore. Um, there are a lot of credible stories that there is a fairly extensive um, secret slave trade uh, in Saudi Arabia and some of the Gulf states. Um, so, um and I don't think it's primarily blacks who are in this slave trade. Um, there's there's a lot of different people involved in it, but there have been, there have been a lot of investigations into this that some of the 
shall we say, wealthy people in those areas um, hold slaves uh, right down to the current day. And it's probably not limited to Saudi Arabia and the Gulf states. And it's probably not limited to the to the uh, Muslim world either. Um, but, you know, no one would do it out in the open today. Not th- not that kind of slavery anyway. There are other kinds of slavery. Um, you know, so that's what I know about it. Uh, look, the Democrats, like your, you know. Yeah. yeah, I like your oligarchy is a serious problem. And I've had an awakening. I read The Creature from Jekyll Island back in 97. And I went libertarian. I'm still a libertarian. But, yeah, I'd like to hear more about oligarchy, division, what we can do about it. Um, People are waking up in droves about the powers that be that run this country. Uh, Can you just give us some more? Well, as I said, you know, I mean, I mean, the the problem with the, you know, uh, the Jekyll Island book and the problem with, you know, like, for instance, you used to have, the, I don't, they probably still exist, although I, I don't think they're very big anymore. But, uh, you know, a, a group like the John Birch Society, I mean, there's a lot of things that they got wrong, but a lot of what they said was true. But one of the problems, one of the big problems was they left it at, you know, well, it's Wall Street, it's the Rockefellers, it's the more J.P. Morgan, it's, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, the the you know, the, the Warburgs, it's, you know, people like this, you know, and of course, these are not good people. Um, Wall Street has always been a junior partner uh, of the city of London, um, always. Um, now, people think, you know, that since World War II, America is the superpower in the world. And militarily, we are, you know, no question about it. <coughs> and economically, at least until recently, you know, we were the dominant economic power in the world. So, you know, we were the, you know, we're the most powerful country in the world, but the financial power, the monetary power, this has always been based in London um, for the last 250 years, 300 years. Um, Before that it was in Amsterdam. Before that it was in Venice. Um, You know, but the, uh, um, you know, it, 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 it look. Oligarchies and empires are financial empires. Um, they're run through banking and finance, and the armies are just there to enforce the financial policies and the economic policies. Um, you know, that's how the British Empire was run in in in, in the nineteenth century. You know, I mean, look, the British Empire in the nineteenth century. In India, but everywhere, everywhere they were. The British Empire killed far more people than Adolf Hitler. Uh, now, that's not a defense of Adolf Hitler, you know, but it's you have to understand what what this oligarchical empire really is, what they did to the Irish, which you mentioned more than once. They did it under Cromwell. They did it later in the 19th century with the potato famine, which was not a naturally occurring potato famine. It was a it was a murderous policy imposed on Ireland by the British. They did it everywhere they went. They killed at least thirty million people in in India, um, countless millions in Africa. Now they weren't the only empire, but you know 
They were the dominant empire for a very long time. Look, the British Empire ran the slave trade for about 100 years. And in, and in the period that they ran the slave trade, and I, then they ran it. It was run under the British monarchy. It was run as official policy. And 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 they um, they they took more slaves out of Africa than all of the previous European slave traders combined. The Portuguese, the French, the Spanish, the Dutch. The British took the majority of slaves out of Africa. And then, you know, a big fanfare was made. You know, if you read these history books, oh, well, Britain was one of the first countries to abolish slavery. Well, there's, that's true. But at that point, there was no more profits left in it. Slaves were very expensive. Um, and, um, but what did they do? What did they do at the point that they got out of the African slave trade? They launched the opium traffic. They, you know, almost simultaneously. You know, by the time of the American Revolution, the British were already creating massive opium plantations in India and in Burma. Um, and by the early 19th century, the British controlled world narcotics traffic. They controlled it from from London, you know, Queen Victoria. Um, and, you know, they fought two wars with China. The opium wars. Why? Um, because the Chinese wouldn't buy the opium. So the British sent in gunboats. Now, you know, all of this money from the slaves, from the opium, it all went into the Bank of England. It went into the British stock market. You know, it created a gigantic financial empire. And, um, and the British sent in and gunboats and, to enforce it. You know, now they can't do it quite the same way today, but it's the same thing. You know, I mean, it's it's the same thing, you know, uh, um, through the International Monetary Fund. Well, the International Monetary Fund is just the front for these interests. But you have the International Monetary Fund. You have uh, the European Central Bank. Um, and a lot of people talk about the Federal Reserve. Now, the Federal Reserve is unconstitutional. We shouldn't have it. But that's not where the real evil lies, because the Federal Reserve just represents the major private banks on Wall Street. You know, it's just a vehicle for those banks, for Goldman Sachs, you know, for Citibank, for the rest of them. Um, and, um, and, you know, this is, you know, these are the people who get together at Jackson Hole and other locations every year. And... Um, you know, uh, these are the people who imposed globalization, the World Trade Organization, you know, um, uh, which which took all the manufacturing out of the United States. You know, um, I mean, people blame China. And, I, now, you know, I, there's, things, there's a lot of things I don't like about China. But people blame China for taking our jobs. But that's not how it works. Trump has actually said this. Trump has actually said, I don't blame China. But Trump has said, we want the jobs back, which the Chinese don't want to give them back to us. But, you know, they, they, but look, uh, decisions were made in London, in Wall Street, and elsewhere among the highest level of the American financial elite to ship American manufacturing jobs to China. That's where the decision was made. And the Chinese said, you're going to give us these millions of manufacturing jobs and new factories? Great, we'll take them. 
you know that's how it worked and the um uh you know and and the chinese built up their economy and now of course trump wants to begin uh, you know rebuilding american manufacturing in the united states which we desperately need we desperately need to do that but it's this financial oligarchy and um i mean look all these empires going back in history the byzantine empire the roman empire the persian empire these are all oligarchies you know and they all had slaves i mean look you know i mean people read about plato and socrates to you know plato's one of the greatest minds in human history but people got to recognize or people most people don't know that when plato and socrates were living in athens over half the population of Athens were slaves. This is the way it's always been. Not that Plato was, you know, responsible for this, but Athens was ruled by an oligarchy. And in fact, it was the uh, Athenian oligarchy which, you know, condemned Socrates to death. I mean, it, you know, the human species has always been ruled by oligarchies until the American Revolution. And we said, no, we're not going to do that anymore. Um, and and that's, the, that's the incredible thing of people saying the United States is evil. It's just, it's, it's just turning human history on its head. <laughs> well, and they're trying to put, yeah, they're trying to put all these years of history and put it on Trump. Which In about 15 minutes, I do want to switch gears up. On thanks for our you know our second topic uh, for tonight. Of course, Bob, you're welcome to you know stay on that. And of course, that is of course the new thing coming out, uh, you know, stating that uh, you know Trump is somehow you know didn't know about or something going on with Russia, uh, paying for bounties on American soldiers' heads and things of that nature. People calling him traitors and you know all the other lies that they're talking about Trump. Now, now we'll stay on this topic for about another you know 15 minutes, and then I'd like to switch over to uh, the next one. But I just want to you know put that out there and let you know we got about 15 minutes. I do see other callers on. Certainly, if you want to chime in, push one on your number dial, and we'll get you into the show. And, uh, and before yeah, we get to that, we'll get to you. And, and I also have one audio clip. It's about eight minutes. It's about who is funding Black Lives Matter. We'll play that later, but we'll continue on uh, with the conversation. Just want to make that note and see that may want to also uh, chime in on uh, this conversation before we move over to the next. And, oh, you know what? Uh, we, we had our friend Lightweight in the um, you know, in the chat, but, oh, well. Anyway, so go ahead, uh, Bob, and then uh, we'll get into that. Go ahead. Yeah, I was oh. just going to say that uh, – well, I was just going to say that uh, I won't be able to stay on. I, there's something I have to do uh, more than about another 15 minutes. But the um, – uh, again, I don't know what you're planning to discuss in this, but I, I have been looking at this thing, and a, a lot of the intelligence that allegedly the Russians were paying to kill American soldiers, a lot of this intelligence is coming from uh, British MI6, a lot of the, and then being conduited through the New York Times and other sources in the United States. And in fact, just um, a couple of days ago, Christopher Steele, you know, made these allegations about the Russians paying to, um, you know, kill American soldiers. And for for those who don't know, I mean, I would hope people would know, Christopher Steele's report, um, lying, absolutely fraudulent report, report 
uh, used by uh, Obama's uh, attorney general and head of the FBI was the basis for the Mueller investigation, the basis for the for the impeachment proceedings against Trump. Um, so this whole thing smells to high heaven. That's all I'll say about that. Um, but anyway, yeah, uh, you said someone wanted to chime in here. Yeah, we got uh, Suzette on, and I've got a feeling I might know who this. We have a person in chat. I'm not going to read what they they put here, but I have a feeling I kind of know who that person is. But anyway, uh, so let's go ahead and uh, get to that. And thank you very much, Suzette, uh, for coming to the show. Uh, how are you? I see you're in the, the chat there with Lightweight. I didn't see you respond to any of his or her. As I said, I think I've got a feeling on who the person is. Um, after a, a conversation that we had some, some time ago and a bunch of emails I was sent. So I'm wondering if it's the same person. I don't know. But, uh, you know, I mean, I, I do appreciate in, in the chat, you know, I sometimes I do miss uh, what, what's in there because I've literally got multiple screens up that I'm watching while I'm, uh, you know, working the show here. Uh, so it looks like I missed the chat. If they're still on, I'd, I'd go ahead and address it. But since they dropped out of chat, I'm, I'm not going to take up any more of your folks' time for that. Um, but go ahead, uh, Suzette. Thanks for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Thank you. I'm well, and good evening to all on phone call. <laughs> um, so the topic of your show is referring to the allegations um, about Trump and um, as far as the Russia, about American slavery. Okay, so the Russia thing and paying people at Taliban to kill U.S. troops. Um, interesting how that comes from the Pentagon when uh, other intelligence agencies are and the DOJ are saying, nope, sorry, that's not, we can't confirm anything. So these other agencies, they tried that before. I mean, they can't even uh, get a hold of uh, Hillary's emails. <laughs> and they, they can confirm anything on there either because they never had the servers. So, yeah, all that stuff coming out of there is a bit wonky and Anybody who's been following it knows better than to pay attention right now. Why would this come out right now just to pile on everything else on top of it because uh, we're getting closer and closer to the election? Um, as far as slavery goes, uh, well, yeah, we've, we've talked about that. We're all enslaved right now, <laughs> and um, that's because we're in so much debt and not all by our fault or by our own hands, and that's unfortunate and, you know, uh, not sure how to work our way out of that. For your guests, um, they, they um, I'm sorry, you talked about China and um, the bad rap that they're getting, uh, and they truly are our friends. Uh, you know, I think you can have business with countries and still not get along, so to speak, as far as like each other, but business is business. And while China has their own issues with their government, the CCP, I think that the CCP has worked long and hard to embed themselves in the U.S. And there are, I believe, what was it, uh, 400 and 200 or 400? 400 cities that China's embedded in right now, uh, using them as sister companies or sister sister states. And uh, they really got their claws and they, and they influenced the policy within those cities and um, just off the, off the bat, uh, New York is one of them. And when they want to influence policy in the United States, they have it to the point to where 
they write up their own <laughs> resolutions or policy and just have it messaged over to the Congress people, people in that state, uh, to go ahead and just handle it. And when it came across um, a few desks that questioned what was going on because they were new, so they didn't know what was going on, um, finding out later that this is usual business. <laughs> and so we have China with the big Teletron or Megatron in New York City, you know, constantly putting out propaganda. And then we have them embedded, you know, as far as getting our officials to they influence them for policy. And so much so that there's a China Day in New York, <laughs> specifically. <laughs> it occurred not too long ago. So uh, September 1st, okay, September 1st. Last. And so I thought that was interesting. And, and why do you think that that would be okay for China to influence policy here in the U.S.? Well, I never said, nothing I said implied in any way that I thought China, it's okay for China to influence policy in the United States. And I also didn't say that China was our friend. Um, so, you know, that's, I just didn't say those things. Um, you know, what I, what I said was that the policy of globalization, um, which, which took, uh, between, look, between 2000 and 2016, when mm -hmm. Trump was elected, in the 16 years between 2000 and 2016, the United States lost at least 5 million manufacturing jobs. Some people mm -hmm. say it's as high as 7 million, but it, let's say 5 to 6 million, right? China uh -huh. didn't do that to us. Right. Wall, Street, Wall, Street, Wall Street did it to us. London mm -hmm. did it to us. The financial oligarchies, you know, the, the deep state, what is the deep state? I mean, you could call it the military-industrial complex. You could call it a lot of things. But essentially what you're talking about is a financial elite which runs the major financial institutions but also has overweening power within the intelligence community and certain parts of the military. Now, that not all of them. We have very patriotic people in the military, including up to the rank of general. But we also have some very bad people in the Pentagon. Um, you know, so these are the people who destroyed America's ability to produce. They destroyed our productive economy. Now, today we have real problems with China. What I'm saying is um, two things. One is you have to talk to your well, you could call them enemies. I don't consider China an enemy. I don't consider Russia an enemy. You could call them an adversary. You could call them a competitor. Um, but whatever label you want to put on them, um, you have to talk to them. You have to have a dialogue. You have to work the problems out. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, you cave in and give in on everything. I mean, Donald Trump, I admire, is a very very tough negotiator and um that's how you do it you know um you go in and say you know we need to get a lot of this manufacturing capability back in this country we need to do x number of things and we're going to sit down and we're going to have some hard bargaining hard negotiations and as trump has said many times this is um this is not something that any president of the United States has done in a long, long time. But I don't think um, painting China 
or Russia or North Korea as an enemy of this country, I don't think that serves a useful purpose. Um, you may disagree. I think our enemy is and always has been um, the British Empire. Uh, and, 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 and the way that manifests itself today in the 19th century, it was pretty clear. You had a British Empire. Today, a lot of people think the British Empire doesn't exist. They're, well, you're just mis people who think that are just mistaken. But it manifests itself differently today. You know, it manifests itself through a global financial elite and oligarchy. Um, these are the people who gave us the World Trade Organization. These are the people who gave us the general agreement on trades and tariffs. These are the people who now, um, you know, essentially, um, Mark Carney, the former head of the Bank of London, and his pal Michael Bloomberg, um, they want to create – they have plans for what they call global financial reform, which would essentially eliminate almost all sovereignty, and it would – it would it would it would look the, the US banking system which used to finance if you go back to the 1950s or 60s or even the 70s to a certain extent you know the banking system primarily financed real things manufacturing agriculture home building um research and development you know today the US banking system is primarily involved in financial speculation that's it, and and that's that's your enemy. That's the real enemy uh, of people of 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 Americans, um, um, because what they've done to us so far is mm -hmm. only a fraction of what they intend to do to us um, but, if they're not and stopped. And I agree with you as far as Europe goes, or, or England. Um, and that being actually the place where uh, all this was born out of as far as their agenda, their ideas uh, between certain people. And, of course, uh, as we've moved through, the, through history, uh, these plans have been in the works and have reared their head and then retreated and then reared their head and retreated, all the while learning new lessons about how to complete their agenda. Um, but with the different factions, of these people, I feel right now, it seems, and I've talked about it on my show, that there, that these different groups that you spoke of earlier, the Bilderbergs, the Rothschilds, uh, you know, I don't know if you mentioned the Council on Foreign Relations, but there was another group. That's pretty much the main hub for all these groups. But nevertheless, um, I think that we have come to a head to where we're, we're so near the end as far as what they see that now they're thinking, okay, well, I've done a lot of work. I think I should rule the world. Well, no, I've done a lot of work. I think I should rule the world. And so it's coming to a head to where we're seeing all these factions with all of this minutia of attacks on the country, you know, let alone the president, but the country itself because Trump hasn't been <laughs> so easy to remove or for him to fold and say, I quit. And uh, I think that's kind of what's going on right now, and, and that plays into the financial. That would be the last straw. It would be pulled uh, because right. they, they've right. been unsuccessful otherwise. Oh, say? yeah. Well, this, this is, look, this election coming up is one of the most important elections in the history of the United States. There's no question about it. Uh, I mean, you know, a, a, a Biden, you know, 
Kamala Harris administration or Biden Susan Rice administration. I don't oh, know if we survive it. Yeah, yeah. It, it would be well. So, here's my here's here's my predict here's my prediction on that. Okay. Is is and, and no, and I agree. I mean, I've been saying that you know people who listen to the show regularly is I've been saying for months, probably even since January, that Kamala Harris was going to be the his VP pick, and I'll stand by that, and I'll be actually shocked if she's not. Um, but here's the thing: she's not only going to be here's here's my uh, if he becomes president. Ugh, you know, it, it wouldn't be as, as bad as Bill Hillary, but if he did become president, then uh, it, someone's got a lot of background noise. They can mute that. I appreciate it. Um, my um, prognostication for that is he, if he becomes president, he's going to be president for one year. I say after one year of being president, he will step down during health conditions, and Kamala Harris will be sworn in as president. That's what I think. If he gets elected, that's what I think is going to happen. And I tell you what, all the stuff that you're seeing now, you know, now you're going to have a, a president who's going to try to push reparations, and there's not going to be a darn thing we could do about it, especially if the uh, the Democrats are able to maintain uh, the House of Representatives. And, and I, you know, I say this all, you know, Tom was when, you know, Hannity's like every year, oh, every election year, this is the most important election of our lifetime. He may actually, I think he's right this time. I mean, it varies. I think the very, uh, you know, the existence of, of of what the United States is now is is definitely on uh, definitely on the brink. If if he and the Democrats, I really I really am concerned with America's future. If you know, if if he if he gets elected, because it's not going to be really him. I mean, we know he's a figurehead. We know he's going to be just a puppet. You know, and and frankly, he won't be a puppet for long. Again, I think he will only be a puppet for a year. And then they'll put Kamala Harris, which she may not be as much of a puppet, but she's going to she's going to toe the line anyway with whatever the you know the, the squad and her group want to do. I mean, that, that, think about it. Think about this country literally being run by the squad, because that's exactly what we're going to get. We're going to get our, our America will be governed by those that hate it. That's what it comes down to. People need to really realize that is that. If the, if the Democrats get in, if Biden gets in, if Kamala Harris gets in, and she and you know who she's going to support, she's going to support that that band of four American haters. This country, America, will be governed by people who hate it. They hate America, and they're going to do everything that they can to destroy it. That's what it comes down to. That's why I said this on Facebook the other day. We are in a civil war. Almost just as real as the civil war that we had for for the first one. May not be as bloody, but I think it's just as important. And it is time for us to draw lines. And I I cannot believe that I am saying this because I lost a good friend of a decade because of who I voted for president. And maybe now I maybe I now I know how that you know they feel. I don't know, but it's to the point where. It is going to be neighbor versus neighbor. It's going to be friend against friend. It's going to be family member against family member because I cannot – I don't know how I could stand by someone who would vote for – you know, even a family member who would stand by Biden and vote for Biden knowing and, – and maybe it's because I don't know, but that's our responsibility to let them know. Now, will they listen? Probably not, but the thing is, you know – Fourth of July has come up. Our independence 
And let me tell you, this may be the last, and I don't want to sound overly dramatic, okay, but this very well may be the last, you know, Independence Day of America as being the America that we that we know it. It really very well may be. That's that's how important this. I mean, so when you're out with your family, when you're out with your friends, you know, if you have any that are on the fence, if you have any that are Democrats, remember, especially if they're older Democrats. This is not the Democrat Party of JFK. It's not. JFK was a Democrat president that saw a, a, a strong, bold future for America. The Democrat Party today does not. And I told a guy who was actually at my house the other day, and he was working on my Internet. And we were talking, and he was a lifelong Democrat, but now he's been voting you know, more Republican. You know, because I mean, he, he's seeing how much these uh, these people, you know, hate America, and, and that's what it's coming to. I mean, we're we're getting to the point where, as I said, we're going to have people who loathe America to be the ones who govern it. Um, and darn it, there's another point I was going to make, but I went off on on that tangent. Uh, you know, right. But you know, Robert, go ahead, Robert. Bob. I'm, I'm going to have to get off. Um, I I have another appointment. Um, so oh, is that okay. okay with you? Go ahead. Oh, yeah, go ahead. I, if you I got any can't... final thoughts, if you got to jump, go ahead. No, I, I, I agree with what you're saying. You know, it's um, – and look, I, I would just say – and then I do have to go. Um, you know, one of the, one of the main, uh, you know, uh, intentions of the mass media right now is to sow pessimism among Trump supporters – Say, oh, well, Trump is going to lose. Trump is going to lose. Everybody's against him. You know, he's getting slammed. He's getting slammed. Um, You know, we absolutely cannot fall into that. Uh, This is a winnable election. And, um, you know, and uh, uh, we just need everyone doing everything they can. So with that, I got to go. Okay. No, I appreciate it. We'll we'll, we'll talk again. I'll get uh, Keller remind me. I'll get uh, uh, Bob your your contact information. You guys can talk to you know, about publishing things of that nature. But certainly, Bob, we do appreciate history, coming on. Info we see you again. Thanks. Okay. Thanks. All right. See you all Bye. later. Welcome. See Bye. you later. Good night. And, and yeah, I mean, so I was talk, telling this guy. I mean, because I mean, he he definitely has friends who are who are liberals, and whether they'll listen or not, I don't know. But do we need to let them know that this is indeed. What what we're fighting for? I mean, just just look at what they're what they're doing and what they're about. I mean, and and I'm getting ready to play an audio clip. Uh, first, I'm going to go bring it uh, the round table and I'll play the audio. Um, so first, uh, let's go. If anyone wants to close uh, that out about the history, uh, or maybe a segue to what we're talking about, uh, I want to go for it with um, you, Joseph, and then Kelly, then Suzette. Then I'm going to mute all of our mics and I'm going to play that audio clip. It's only about eight minutes. Uh, but it's about the, the funding, you know, who is funding uh, Black Lives Matter and why. Uh, go ahead, Joseph. These are uh, scary and uncertain times. Uh, I'd have to say in my 40 years of um, breathing on this air, I've never been more scared of what tomorrow is going to bring. Uh, I live with this fear. I live with this anxiety. I'm sure I'm not the first or the last that shares this. Just the uncertainty of not knowing um, and just seeing that your country that you love so much 
such as myself, who I've always been a loyal, patriotic American, proud American, see everything falling apart from the very foundation uh, is disheartening. There's no words to describe it. And it's scary. And, um, you know, November is very important, but my fear is that when Trump wins in November, it's not going to be over. Um, that's the fear in the back of my mind. It's, I think it's just going to um, lit a fuse to uh, a, a, a bomb that's ready to explode. And I wouldn't be surprised if on the day he gets reelected, uh, you have all kinds of violent protests and things of that nature and people moving farther to the left. So, yes, you know, um, November is crucial, but uh, I, I just I'm still fearful that it's far from not over in November and um, it may not be over for a very long time. And as you pointed out, Fourth of July, this may be the last Fourth of July. Um of America as we know it. Um, to me, I think last 4th of July was the America as we last know it because last 4th of July was pre-COVID. This 4th of July is is COVID era where you still have a lot of um, liberal mayors and, and governors like in California and New York that are uh, imposing lockdown restrictions and are not going to be allowing a lot of Americans to... Uh, you know, throw barbecues and parks and beaches and fireworks and things of that nature. So uh, I'd say that last 4th of July was probably the last 4th of July of America as, as, as I knew it to be. And um, really, I have no other words to say at this moment. Um, I'm just very uh, heartbroken and um, scared. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not afraid to say it. I am scared out of my mind. Every day I wake up with fear, realizing that um, America is going more into everything that it stood for. It's it's turning into everything that it it fought against. It's turning into it's turning into it's turning into our enemies. It's turning into an enemy state. It's turning into a, a totalitarian regime. It's turning into that. And uh, I, I I just don't know anymore. Uh, I don't have the answer. I don't have the solutions. Just not knowing, I guess, just just prolongs my suffering and my pain. And I think I speak for not just myself, but many other Americans who are feeling the same. And I'll um, I'll defer back to you, Robert. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you, Joseph. And, and you, you know, I mean, I, I've definitely never. I mean, you know, I mean. I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to. Here's the thing: is I, I know I, I I knew I really didn't want Hillary Clinton to be elected, just because I thought, God, she's so corrupt. How could someone so corrupt ever get elected uh, with the, with being president of the United States? I mean, how can that happen? And and she wasn't. And all the, you know, and maybe the people who were all out, you know, with signs in their yards and with. You know, the, what I called the, you know, not I called, but, you know, I mean, I agree with it, it was a movement, you know, as a Trump movement. Uh, maybe that movement is still there. It just maybe the movement went underground. Um, that's my that's my hope. 
is that the Trump movement has just moved underground. It's still there. I, you know, his supporters are actually galvanized by what they're seeing. Um, and so that's, that's my hope. Uh, I, I mean, I, the reason I think I'm more concerned now with Biden than I was with Hillary, even though I couldn't stand Hillary, is that I, wasn't, I really wasn't sure about what Trump would actually bring as the president. I had an idea, and I was so relieved. I still remember that day clearly, the day after um, you know, Trump won election. I, I remember that day, and I remember how happy I was that Hillary didn't get elected. Um, and I know I would have been upset if she did, but I would have been upset that America would have voted in someone so corrupt. But this time it's different. This time I actually am concerned. Because I know what Trump can bring to the table. I know what Trump can bring to the future of America. And that's, that, that's on the line. That is on the line. All that good stuff that Trump can bring for our future can actually be wiped out by a Biden victory in November. In November. It can all be wiped out. And, and the thing that would make me even madder at Americans now is not that they voted in somebody who's corrupt. That, that, that's not why I would be mad in America for that. It would be that they that they voted for someone who's on the side of the people who want to destroy our nation, who want to destroy our country. The one who not only hate the, they hate the country, they hate us. And in turn, maybe we need to return that hate. I mean, I mean, maybe we as conservatives, maybe we as Trump supporters, 63 million people voted for Donald Trump. In 2016, maybe we should get millions of people on the streets and, be, and, and Black Lives Matter-like protests. I'm not saying we burn. Certainly not. I don't say we destroy cars. Certainly not. I don't say we loot stores. Certainly not. However, I just think we should intimidate. Yes, I'm saying intimidate. The, uh, you know, those politicians, not out of fear of us shooting them or robbing them or destroying their property, or burning their thing. I want us to intimidate them by them seeing the sheer numbers of people that still love this country. That's what I want them to be intimidated by. That's what I want them to be fearful by. And, we, I'm, I, and this needs to happen before November. It's too late if it happens before that. And if, and, if we can just do that. Word. Yeah, go ahead. Oh no no you you finish first. Well I was just gonna you know I was just gonna say that that that's what we I I really think that needs to happen. We got all these Black Lives Matters and all this and then here's the thing if we go out in the millions we're only going to show more of the liberal uh, and Democrat hypocrisy and the hypocrisy in the media because you know they were so quiet about the COVID thing when it came to Black Lives Matter which I still want to play that audio and I will. Um. So they were so quiet. So what are they going to do if they have thousands and thousands of people in the street supporting our president, supporting America? We need more of that. We need that. I, I, I do. I mean, we need another Tea Party, not a Tea Party. A Tea Party said, you know, we support, you know, the, the ideology of the Tea Party, you know, about taxes and things of that nature, right? No, we need people to say, we support Trump 
because Trump is the future of the United States. Trump is the future of America. You know, Trump is what, again, to make America great again. I mean, people need to equate, in reality, the greatness of what the, the, the America can be with the election of Trump. We, don't, we, we support Trump because we support America. We, we, we are against. And yes, it's getting to the point where when I was going to say your friends, your family, your neighbors, it's getting to the point, folks, where they are the enemy. They may very well become and, be, and are the enemy. That's the danger that we face, that they are the enemy. And what I mean by that is they are, and it pains me to say this, because they are the ones who are supporting a, a candidate that, that supports a party that hates our country. They want to destroy it. If that's not an enemy, I'm not going to say they're an opponent. I'm not going to say they're an adversary. I'm going to say they are the enemy. Right now I say that the, the mainstream media, the alphabet media, is the enemy of America. They are the enemy of America. I will boldly say that. And I'm getting to the point where if, you have, if we have people in our lives, our friends, our families, you know, our neighbors who are, you know, that's what a civil war is about. That's why I've been saying we are close to, if we're in a civil war, because, our, you know, in the civil war, your brother, your neighbor, your friend, your family, you know, they were the enemy. They, they, were, they were each other's, it's tragic. And I'm not saying this is a good thing, and I'm not saying this thing makes me happy. But this is a civil war, folks. We're here. It's here now. And our neighbors and our family and our friends, they very well may be the enemy. That's how much is at stake now with, you know, with their country, that our own people that we love. We love our neighbors. We love our family. We love our friends. But the shame is, is because of the way they may vote, they may very well be the enemy of the United States. That's how I see it. You know, I know uh, that's, absolutely. you know. Absolutely, and that the one more thing I wanted to add is, we are already in a civil war. We're already there. You see everything, the anarchy, the chaos in the streets. We're already in a civil war, and um, uh, you know it would be great to have conservative organized groups that would go out there and counter demonstrate. Uh, and that should have happened a long time ago, um, and that's why the left is so powerful is because they have spent decades in building and organizing their, 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 uh, their goons, their, um, their, their anarchists, and that's why they're so powerful when conservatives have sat, always sat back for decades and saying, oh, we've got to take the higher ground. But you know what? There's an old saying. In order to defeat evil, you have to be ten times more evil than the evil you're trying to defeat. Kindness does not defeat evil. It never has. It's just always been a saying, a cliche, a philosophical saying, but it's not true. Kindness does not defeat evil, as sad as it may seem. Uh, and my fear is if the Democrats win in November, that's when you'll see the real blood in the streets because that's when you'll see a conservative backlash because the Dems will be coming for the guns, the Dems will be coming for their Bibles and then my fear is only when it's too late 
is when conservatives will react. And it will be in violence. I hope it won't be, but, but it's very probable it won't, will not be peaceful. And so that's what's at stake, and that's what I mean, damned if you do, damned if you don't. If Trump wins, that's another excuse for conservatives to say, we need to take the higher ground. We, we, we cannot be like Antifa and Black Lives Matter. But the way I see it is, it's not like we're trying to be like Antifa or Black Lives Matter. We're trying to save our country. And if it involves bloodshed, then so be it. That's the price. I don't want bloodshed. I'm not a violent person. Robert, I, I know you're not a violent person. I know all the panelists on the show are not violent people. We don't want that. But if that is the price that it takes to save my country, then so be it. I just pray that it doesn't come to that. I pray with every ounce and fiber in my soul. I do not want that. And the difference between me and others out there is you have others out there that that's what they yearn for, the destruction of our country. I yearn for the restoration of my country. And that's all I wanted to add to that, Robert. And thank you for giving me the time to do that. Um, you're welcome. And yeah, time for me to get off my, my soapbox. Um, and then I'm going to uh, go ahead, uh, Kelly, and then she's that. And then I'll have that uh, who is funding Black Lives Matter and why audio. Uh, but let's go bring it back to you, Kelly. I mean, am I overstating things? Well, let me. I want to talk about that here. But, uh, Joseph, you're a sweetheart, and uh, the uncertainty. I'm having trouble getting stuff done in my life that I would normally get on zip zip done because of uncertainty. It's frustrating. But we, uh, by the way, Seattle did disband, um, but we still have problems in Minneapolis. We still have other problems around the nation. And it's going to get ugly after the election, and I'll get to that because it's really important. But I had a writing binge, and I want to read this out, law, uh, out loud, Okay. I call this trial by gun or tri trial by the rule of law. Question. All right. Rumor number one, biker gangs going to Seattle to rid the city of the occupied Chaz or CHOP zone. Of course, they will use guns to force them out. People will be tried by gun and killed. Rumor number two, Antifa on the 4th of July will be shooting people as the fireworks go off. The fireworks will hide the sounds of their guns. People will be tried by gun and killed. Which side is right? Answer, neither. They are both wrong, totally wrong. For over 240 years, the success of our nation is found in the rule of law. This means, first of all, a constitution that lists many of our individual rights, including how to handle someone accused of a crime. This starts with the premise someone is innocent until proven guilty. Then, of course, due process of law and lastly, trial by jury. If biker gangs or Antifa claims that they love America and are doing their thing for America, do not believe them for one minute. They have denied the fundamental premise that makes America great, the rule of law. Tribal again skips many steps in the rule of law process and leads to tyranny, bloodshed, and murder, a breakdown of society. Without the rule of law, we fall to the whims of the more powerful physical force. I believe there is a third side to this argument, that everyday people still believe and will fight to the death for the rule of law, that this third side will hold both sides accountable. And this third party believes, honors, and supports the thin blue line, um, John 15, 13, where is 
There is no greater love than one who laid down his life for another. Uh, this th- thin blue line is held accountable by the fourth branch of government, the grand jury. It is my prayer that this third side of this argument prevails for peace. Now, we think it's tough now. Okay, I'm just going into commentary, but the elections are very concerning to me. By the way, in Florida, there's a lawsuit, I believe it's been filed, where the um, um, the digital ballot images are going to be preserved, so a quick recount can be done. The preservation of them is very important, and DeSantis, the governor of Florida, has decided to bring forth legislation, and I guess it got passed, that in a recount, the uh, digital ballot images can be used, and it's for a quick recount, and you can do a high percentage of the vote very quickly. The digital ballot images are what gets counted. The, the ballot uh, runs across a scanner, boom, an electronic digital image is counted. And many of the machines, they don't count the actual ballot, they count the digital ballot image. The digital ballot image is married to the hand-marked paper ballot. Now, that is really good news because a swing state like that and hope a few other states do emerge the legislation because if we do not have an honest, transparent, trackable election, publicly verified, we will have absolute chaos because if Trump wins, the left is going to scream, oh, there's no way he can be elected. And, and the Russians, and you know how much mileage they got with the Russian narrative. And that's been so debunked. But anyway, they will scream bloody murder. They will take to the streets. And what we've been seeing the last month or two in physical violence is going to escalate times three, four, five, or seven. If Trump loses, the right is not going to trust um, the results of Biden winning the presidency. And will they take to arms and, and, and violence, et cetera, et cetera? Well, it's, it's not going to be pretty without if, if we cannot prove our elections, we are in danger after the election either way, either way. Of course, the right seems to be more peaceful, 22,000-member rally uh, in Virginia for uh, gun rights back in January, and that one went off very peacefully. Um, so the other vulnerability, Bob Barr has spoken about this, as well as Trump, um, the mail-in ballots with the Democrats love and want – is so open to counterfeit from the Chinese. These aren't just my words, Bob Barr. And I was talking to a friend about this, how this is going to happen. And it's very, um, look, this possibility, this possibility, this possibility. You have to have the right paper weight because ballots aren't just eight and a half by 11 paper. You got to have the right ink. You got to have the right, you could screw up in the, uh, you could put a city council member on another in another state. You could put a U.S. senator in another state on a ballot, but they can ship, they can counterfeit. Well, the the way that works is when you get a mail-in ballot, you have to sign it, send it in. And what's going to happen there is in California, they check the signature, they get the envelope, they look at the signature. Well, in order for China to pull us off in California, um. They have to get the electronic database of all the digital images of the signatures so they can forge it. And what they would do, they wouldn't focus on the Democrats. They'd focus on the Republicans. They could nullify, let's say, let's just pick a name here, uh, John Miller. Okay, so John Miller, let's say he sends in his Republican vote for Trump. 
the Chinese send one in for him. Guess what? His vote was nullified. Or both votes, it's called an overvote. Both votes don't count. In other words, it's going to be high for for Biden and other Democrats. Um, but how are the Chinese going to – there's all sorts of things they had to think through. Well, how would they pull this up? They need insider help. They need help from Americans. New Jersey, they just filed charges against election fraud uh, by some Democrats. But they have to have insider help in many ways. And then in California, you have uh, ballot collection centers or ballot harvesting. The Chinese just drop off thousands and thousands here, there, there, all over the place um, that are forgeries, counterfeits. It's point-blank frightening, and the Democrats are pushing for for um, for vote-by-mail 100% all states. And this could actually cause the, the Trump voters and the conservatives, if they find out, like from group, groups like Watch the Vote, which I'm a part of, and many other groups, that uh, Biden got elected fraudulently, I won't be surprised if they do take up guns and they start cleaning house, and it's going to get ugly. A civil war would be if one state succeeds from the union. That was the level that I went to in the 18 – was it 1863 when they succeeded or – anyway. The, the, and so without an honest, transparent, trackable, publicly verifiable election, it's going to be a disaster. Um, on the other hand, if there's a landslide for Trump, okay, if there's a landslide for Trump, then it's not questioned, and uh, the transition of power from Trump to Trump is peaceful. And if, it's, say, it's a, I don't know, pick a number, 70, 30, 65, 35, then they're going to have, the left's going to have to accept it. So <laughs> it's hard when you have massive spread like that. It's, there's just voter fraud doesn't have much effect. So it's point blank frightening. But the couple factors here that could bring a landslide for Trump is there are a number of indictments that are coming out, okay? And we're talking big people, and we'll have to see how well that's going to go. But the other thing is, and it's kind of an amusing thing to say, but if Antifa comes out with their political endorsements, the Libertarian Party, what do we do at the state convention? We have endorsements for candidates. Libertarian Party endorses this person, that part. Republicans do it, Democrats do it. If the Antifa movement comes out with endorsements for candidates, it's going to tell the independent-minded people and Democrats uh, who not to vote for. Not all Democrats, but there's you know a certain percentage of the Democrats who are disgusted at the way um, the behavior is, is occurring. But if Antifa comes out with an endorsement list of candidates, the American people are going to know who not to vote for. And that could create a landslide. If Trump comes out with a major announcements of indictments of high-level people, the American people could be, you know, it's about time. And the independents, the middle people, you know, you get your far left, they're going to vote for Biden no matter what. Far right, Trump no matter what. Okay, but in between is the influence that I'm talking about. This this one-third probably. One-third, yeah, they might be registered as a Republican or a Democrat, but this one-third independent-minded thinking people could throw it into a landslide for Trump. We're talking 65-35 or even you know, uh, 60-40. This, this 59-49, this, this 51-49, if that was what the results are on Election Day, you can bet it's going to be a disaster 
in America, worse than what we've ex- experienced now. So I just I wanted to throw those thoughts thoughts out for that thoughts out for people, and I'm just I thank God I live in a community where there's um, the police are local folk and they we know each other. I got a call uh, Sunday about a homeless person I was helping. I'm like I ain't helping her anymore. Uh, my neighbor and I have been helping her some, but she, she's got all sorts of problems. She lied point blank. But how wonderful that the police officer um, – I gave her a ride, and I didn't know this, but I, I was her getaway car. And the police call me, and I'm like, I am so angry. I am not helping her anymore. But it's wonderful to have police here in this town of Wairika, California, that um, – will protect the citizens, and the citizens support them. I really encourage people, if you have an opportunity to set up a backup plan for a small town, I would encourage people to make those plans for when November 3rd rolls around. Back to you, Robert. Okay, yeah, let's go ahead and uh, bring it to Suzette. We want to hear from you as well. And then it is after the top of the hour, so we are in Bard's Logic after dark. And so after Suzette, I am going to go ahead and I am going to uh, you know, play that audio, and then we'll, we'll continue on with our conversation. Go ahead, Suzette. Okay, thank you very much, uh, Robert. Um, well, I I agree with you. I'm For myself, I am hopeful um, that um, – Trump is going to win, and and thank you, Kelly, for, for that um, uh, piece that you wrote, and um, I agree with a lot of it. And and Joseph, um, try not to worry too much. I mean, when we think about how many Americans across the nation there are, population was um, three hundred and twenty-eight, three hundred twenty-eight point two million people, and at best the largest gathering of protesters, whether it be the BLM or the uh, the, uh, the other terrorist group <laughs> that we uh, have out there, Antifa, um, at best, maybe 10,000 in California when they were marching uh, during the day, at, you know, at night it's even smaller, but, and that's even being generous as far as saying how many. It, it appeared to be a lot of people, but let's just say 10,000. Um, and, and it was, I'm sure, quite a bit less. But that would be only 3.3% of the population, which is really nothing. And so the media is doing a hell of a job by making this seem like, you know, it's half of America or more than half of America that's, you know, battling and and, um, and just destroying it. And really 3.3%, again, and that's at 10,000 numbers, and we know it's less than that. Um, and then they show the cities burning, and the cities that were burning, you know, we have uh, Wellington in North Carolina, New Bern in, in North Carolina, Cedar City in Utah, Bend in Oregon, Crestline View, Colorado, Auburn, um, what is it, Odessa, Texas, uh, Charging Falls, there's, and there's like one, two, three, of course, New York, uh, Birmingham, Montana, Grand Forks. But these are just single cities that were destroyed, but when they're put on television, cities are burning across the nation, businesses all over uh, can't open and they're destroyed, and protesters are looting and marching. And, I mean, it just seems like, oh, my gosh, America is just 
going down the tube. I mean, look at it. It's being destroyed from within everywhere. And, and a lot of people are dying. And those are the ones, I think, that are, uh, of course, not necessarily you guys, but a lot of people are looking at that and thinking, oh, my God, Trump will never win. Or him, very slim chance of winning. And what happens is if Biden wins, well, we shouldn't even really be considering Biden winning. That's not an option. Trump will win. Just like 16, people lay dormant mm-hmm. quiet. And then we showed the power of the people when we came out to vote. And once again, the power of the people will come out to vote. Whether that vote will be accepted or not, you know, we already know that answer. And we'll just have to deal with it then. But we have to keep in mind that these are just small groups of people, just pocketful of people, handfuls of people, if you type in that. When you look at the big picture of how many Americans um, are really uh, involved in the destruction of our country, of course, yes, we have the elitists that are pulling strings left and right in the system because they're embedded everywhere in our government and, and elsewhere in our schools and so forth. But again, they can't do it by themselves. They need the people to help them move their agenda forward. But there are far more people, far more Americans not for that agenda when you look at the grand scheme of things. So try and keep positive. Don't listen to the news very much. <laughs> you have to turn it off and uh, and just pay attention to the numbers and know that there are a lot more patriots out there. They're just dormant right now. That's all I wanted to say. About thank that. you, Back Suzette, to- and thank you, Kelly. That really means a lot. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Okay, well, I'll go ahead and play that audio that I wanted to. I've got some kind of idiot on on Twitter again. It's so funny when you uh, you know you, you have these conversations with these people, right? And then they make a comment and they either block you or or mute you so that you can't uh, reply to them. So it's, I find it interesting. That that shows you how you know, the liberals can't. Uh, you know they can they can dish it out, but they can't take it. Uh, so let me go. I'm going to mute people's mics, and then we'll get that audio. So let me go ahead and get that uh, keyed up for you. Black Lives Matter has been dominating the headlines for weeks, and there's been a lot of speculation regarding the funding of this organization, with many fingers quick to point at George Soros. So the million dollar question. Did Soros fund Black Lives Matter? Yes, he absolutely did, and I'll get to more of that in a minute. But George Soros is not the only source of funding for Black Lives Matter. In fact, Soros and his funding is just another spoke in the wheel of a massive, well-financed, politically motivated campaign with the desired goal to transform this current system of control and destroy it, basically, and out of the ashes of that, build a new system of control. This certainly sounds like a reoccurring theme right now, uh, very similar to what we've been hearing from the United Nations, the World Economic Forum, the central banks, and governments from around the world as they are preparing for the Great Reset and a global paradigm shift, which we'll get back to later in this video. But right now, we're going to look at who exactly is funding Black Lives Matter. According to their website, Black Lives Matter was founded in 2013 in response to the acquittal of Trevon Martin's murderer. Black Lives Matter Foundation Incorporated is a global organization in the United States, the UK, and Canada 
whose mission is to eradicate white supremacy and build local power to intervene in violence inflicted on black communities by the state and vigilantes, by combating and countering acts of violence, creating space for black imagination and innovation, and centering black joy. The BLM movement exploded in 2014 after a police officer shot dead unarmed 18-year-old Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, a controversial case as police responded to a robbery, and the suspect, Mike Brown, allegedly attacked the police officer, Darren Wilson, who then shot and killed Mr. Brown, according to reports. Now, a grand jury declined to press charges on the police officer. This was the catalyst for large Black Lives Matter protests that turned violent and became riots where we all witnessed massive civil unrest as demonstrators clashed with police and the National Guard on a scale that was shocking at the time, and so was the militarized police response. Around this time is when George Soros stepped in through his Open Societies Foundation, as well as grant-making from the Center of American Progress to the tune of $33 million to fund Black Lives Matter. Now, in addition to the $33 million contributed by George Soros, Another funding campaign was formed, the Movement for Black Lives, which received $100 million through the Black-Led Movement Fund, paid for by the Ford Foundation and Borealis Philanthropy, and directly funded Black Lives Matter and dozens and dozens of other similar groups, actually up to 150 other groups, including Black Lives Matter. Now, Black Lives Matter, at that point, had not only secured the financial support of wealthy donors, but also had the backing from their media organizations, which in addition to helping Black Lives Matter to recruit, it also helped to sell their movement and sow racial division, sell the narrative. This is classic divide and conquer. Now fast forward to 2016, a U.S. presidential election year. BLM makes another massive strategic alliance with the Thousand Currents Foundation, which secured a fiscal sponsorship, which refers to the practice of a NGO, a nonprofit organization, offering their legal and tax-exempt status to groups, which is what this Thousands Current uh, Foundation did for Black Lives Matter. And typically this is only done uh, with projects uh, that the sponsoring organization endorses. Okay, And there's much more into this uh, Thousand Current group and who they were previously. We're going to move on. Shortly after this new partnership, the Kellogg Foundation gave a three-year $900,000 grant to the Berkeley, California-based Thousand Currents Foundation to build the infrastructure and capacity of the National Black Lives Matter movement. The Kellogg Foundation also contributes to other left-wing groups which actively work against the conservative and Republican politicians and their agendas. Again, keep in mind that the left-right paradigm is a false paradigm. This again falls into the divide-and-conquer strategy. Okay, moving on. In addition to funding Black Lives Matter, other Kellogg Foundation notable contributions include $49 million to the Tides Foundation, additional millions to the NAACP, the ACLU, the Southern Poverty Law Center, and George Soros' Open Society Foundation, just to name a few. Think that those dollars don't come with uh, any strings attached? Uh, well, decide for yourself. So we have already covered the early days and the recent history of Black Lives Matter who has already received millions and millions of dollars over the years. But what about now? Who else is funding Black Lives Matter? Well, I saved the best for last for you. You want to know who else is funding Black Lives Matter right now? Well, chances are it's you. You, that's right, and me, 
and your brothers and your sisters and your neighbors and your friends and your coworkers and millions of people around the world, and they probably don't even realize it. How is this possible, you ask? Well, because companies and mega corporations that you most likely do business with, and if not you, millions and millions of people around the world do business with, these companies are donating hundreds of millions of dollars to Black Lives Matter and Black Lives Matter-related uh, groups at this point. Companies and mega corporations like Google, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Walmart, Target, Home Depot, Nike, YouTube, Twitter, Microsoft, Netflix, Airbnb, virtually all of the major cell providers, just to name a few. The list literally goes on and on and on, and I'm going to provide links below so you can go through and see for yourself. So will someone please explain to me how exactly this Black Lives Matter movement is a grassroots organization when literally they have the support from virtually it's the entire establishment at this point? I haven't even gotten into the politicians or the celebrities who have publicly endorsed this or donated money themselves. So the next time you hear somebody say, well, how come Black Lives Matter is allowed to protest and riot and loot and beat people in the streets and kill people in the streets across the country and other countries while the rest of us are on lockdown? The answer is because they not only have the support of the establishment, they are a proxy army of the establishment or the deep state or whatever you want to call it. And when you read over the foundations which fund and support Black Lives Matter, you see that they also support the UN Agenda 21, the UN 2030 Agenda, uh, just like these mega corporations do. So I'm not surprised to see that the United Nations has been trying to get involved in this situation here in the U.S. because, in my view, this plays right into the planned destruction of this country, and it's happening right now. This is just the next phase of the operation. And just to be clear, I'm not Republican, and I'm not Democrat. I support basic human rights and civil liberties for everyone. But when I see a proxy army conducting a destabilization operation under the false pretext of seeking racial and social justice, I have to call it out. I have to call BS. This is not really about justice. This is certainly not about black lives, especially when you take into consideration the fact that Black Lives Matter is funded by rich white men endorsed by the establishment, the same establishment that oppresses each and every one of us regardless of our race, our religion, our sexual orientation. This is divide and conquer 101. If we are too busy fighting each other over a manufactured crisis sold to us by the media and the politicians and the celebrities, we will never rise up above this system of oppression which is targeting all of us. Wake up. Welcome everyone. I'm Thanks for tuning. All right, turn on the mics and we'll do our roundtable. And I do I got an article that I definitely want to get to tonight um, about this whole you know new uh, oh Russia you know was uh, paying people to kill uh, our soldiers and allies in Afghanistan. I want to get to that. But first, uh, did anyone on the panel here you know want to add to anything that they heard on that audio? Can you ask that question again? I'll just see if anyone had anything they want to add to that audio. Go ahead, Joseph. Uh, all I have to say is I think it kind of, I kind of, uh, it definitely echoes the sentiment of uh, everything we've been discussing on this show. Um, pretty much sums it all up in uh, in that audio clip. 
pretty much. I'll defer back to you, Kelly. Um, I'm not going to be buying any Kellogg's products. I got to watch my cell phone carrier. And from the Ford Foundation, I'm not buying a Ford, even if it's a used Ford. Unbelievable. So, Robert, I, you know, I've been telling you for years, and you're catching it. Uh, when I first introduced the idea of globalist, deep state powers that be, you know, Bilderberger, I remember you said, "What's Bilderberger? Like you take a cheeseburger and, you know, you build it up and tomatoes and." And you come a long way. To bring Bob on is incredible. I'm seeing so many Americans wake up to the in mass to what's really going on is the conquer is divide the strategy is divide and conquer. One on one is what that video clip just said. And they want us to fight each other so we don't know who the true oppressors are. The banksters, the corporations, not all corporations are evil, of course, but uh Bob's Millhouse, he was a really good guy. He gave the corporation, corporate stock to everybody after he retired. I mean, but but just the instruments of financial power. And where is the Sherman Antitrust Trust Act? Why isn't Congress acting? Where is the Justice Department in busting up certain large corporations like Facebook, Microsoft, etc.? Because you know, why am I a libertarian? Libertarians get this. They get this right now, and they get it right away. And it's really, it's really exciting. It's just we don't, you know, it's just why don't we just, why don't the Democrats, Republicans get together and sue so that Gary Johnson can't be on seven states? He was only, they were only successful in one state back in uh, 16. But, um, you know, these, these games of divide and conquer, and we're not focusing on the, on the actual problems. The actual problems are people that want, and it's beyond money for them. It's power. It's control. It's Luciferian. It's wicked. All everyday people want is they want to go to work, provide for their family, have a barbecue on the weekends, get with their friends, you know, live life. But we are under such oppression financially, and this was predicted by a book called The Coming Battle by Warburg, written in 1899. He discussed several forms of slavery. Slavery and the next one coming is debt slavery, and that's exactly what they have done. And people are distressed, and so they turn on each other. No, we got to get together. I mean, I, I did go to a local Justice for, for George Floyd rally. And the Black Lives Matter pe- people here, because every movement is different, every area is different, they had some decent points, and uh, it was bringing the community together. But we happen to be the county that elected the first black sheriff in all of California. But they wouldn't even divide us if they could. Um, So, yeah, we have a much bigger enemy than the Republicans and the Democrats. It's these people who have done the classic... um, And, and, you know, 3%, I think is what he was talking about, 3% are involved in the movement, and they have hundreds of millions of dollars. Who are these people trying to divide America? Who are these people? Shouldn't they be tried for treason? Should they not be tried for treason? Now, I've heard of a number of indictments of high-level people indicted, but we shall see. I can't verify it right now, but I was, like, shocked. My neighbor and I – well, actually, another neighbor came along. We watched this video last night. And it broke into a conversation afterwards of these people getting indicted and then turned into prayer for our leaders. And – 
are we going to survive this? We've survived tougher things in the 60s. I mean, the Black Panther and other communist groups are trying to just destroy America. We survived that. Um, are we going to survive this? And then when we survive it, we look at the real oppressors. I think God for Ron Paul awakening people and getting an audit the Fed bill passed in the House. Um, America could be coming back strong. We could be divided. Stupid mistakes could happen. I don't know. But who are these men trying to – it's not just Soros, as obviously we heard. But I mentioned the Ford Foundation. I'm not going to buy a Ford. Um, We've got to get to the root of this evil, of this divisiveness. You know, the race baiters, you're a divisivist. Divisivist. Are you a racist? Are you a divisivist? And let's now look at who's funding you and who is causing you to cause such division. Um, so I'm, I'm really glad, Robert, that you brought Bob on and you just played that click clip because it's showing, of course, our listeners, but hopefully many more people, who the real enemy is. And so I guess I'll just turn it back over to you. I look forward to I'm glad for Joseph's thoughts, Robert's thoughts. I'm also glad, looking forward to Suzette's thoughts coming up here in a few minutes or a few seconds because i got to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Suzette, did you want to add on to that before I get to this article? Yeah. Uh, I just want to say that um, that list that the person was talking to you, talking about on the video, um, which I'm glad you saw so that you played that. Oh, boy, we've got fireworks going here. Um, I don't know if you heard that, but anyway. Um, that list of people, companies, corporations uh, that are involved in that, if you go to the Council on Foreign Relations, which is heavily connected to the United Nations, um, you can find them all there. You can find who the CEO or company owner or business owner, um, their names, and um, we'll match up with the, with the list that that gentleman has um, that he left links to in the video or underneath the video. Um, and, yes, they match up right across the board. You can just keep drawing lines right across as far as the list goes. And it's very sad, and it's almost, almost uh, impossible not to buy something from one of those uh, people on the list. When I say people, I mean the ones that control the companies and that are contributing to the demise of our country or the destruction. And so, um, but you can actually... Get the specific names of who's heading those corporations or companies. And just, um, again, on the CFR page, councilonforeignrelations.org, in their membership, because it gives their membership and they list the companies uh, and corporations that are on board. So, yeah, it's the thing. <laughs> and uh, if we, we have to, I guess, go down the list and see what who we buy from. Walmart's on there, even. <laughs> I mean, geez, uh, it's, there's a lot. Anyway. Um, but money isn't everything, uh, and we've seen that uh, during our revolution. So, okay. right. Back to you, Robert. Okay, I'll just go, you know, having this, uh, I don't know if you could quite even have it a conversation with some person uh, on Twitter. I'm, I'm told why waste my time with them, because it, it kind of is. You really can't. You know, talk to anybody who's not actually willing to listen. But I just got this article, and it's rather lengthy, but I think it's important. And of course, all the uh, videos and, and audio and, and articles you can find at the Barcelona Political um, Newsroom. Now, this one's important. 
And so I'm going to go through all of it. I'm going to try not to read it too fast. Uh, you know, I have a tendency to do that. Um, it really, it's not good to read full articles uh, on the radio because it doesn't just go over well. So I'm going to do my best. But it's, it's definitely important information. And, and if I, I and I'll probably make commentary through uh, through it. And again, if you if, you know, you could get this out the Bard's Logic uh, newsroom at www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com. It says, media are playing games yet again with anonymous Russia leaks. It says, much of the case for the Iraq war was based on Bush administration's claim that the Hussein and, uh, Saddam Hussein possession of weapons of mass destruction. I mean, personally, I think they did have it. I think they gave him so much time they, they got it to Syria. But anyway, it says, when the United States declared uh, an end to the war, of, uh, you know what, you know, I guess because I didn't read through all this to, to summarize it, but I, I should probably start going up. But anyway, I didn't know I was going to be able to get to this article tonight. But it said, when the United States declared an end to the war late in 2011, more than 4,400 American military members had been killed and nearly 32,000 wounded. No weapons of mass destruction had been found. It's one of the most significant and catastrophic intelligence errors in U.S. history. A bipartisan commission found the U.S. intent intelligence sincerely to misjudge Iraq's weapon program because of their heavy reliance on human source codenamed Curveball, whose information later proved to be unreliable. The commission wrote even more misleading was the river of intelligence that flowed from the CIA to top policymakers over a long period of time in the president's daily brief. And just to talk about, you know, uh, Curveball, so I'm going to just kind of go down to, uh, to where it's, you know, relevant for today. It says, our latest intel uh, drama on Russia. On Friday, but that's how it starts. I guess people who want to read the article later, it's a good idea of which, which article it is there. It says, on Friday, three New York Times reporters wrote that American intelligence officials have concluded that Russian military intelligence units secretly offered bounties to Taliban-linked militias for killing coalition forces in Afghanistan, including targeting American troops. Amid the peace talks to end the long-running war, they are, according to officials, briefed on the matter. This uh, allegedly airtight intelligence was briefed to President Trump, and, quote, officials came up with ideas for potential responses, including a diplomatic complaint and sanctions, but the White House has yet authorized anything. The intelligence reporters claimed had been shared with the British government. The anonymous leakers of the information, uh, the reporters claim, were totally certain that, quote, Russian operatives offered and paid bounties, but they have, quote, greater uncertainty about who authorized the plan. The reporters included some speculation about why such a bounty operation will be done. There was no speculation about the motives of the leaking, quote, official. Says reactions to the Renata so forth. It is worth noting that the three New York reporters, including Charlie Savage, Eric Schmidt, and Michael Schwerwitz, also played a role in disseminating the Russia collusion hope in which anonymous intelligence officials worked with co-conspirators in the media for years to put out a false and defamatory narrative that President Donald Trump had colluded with Russia to steal the 2016 election and was otherwise compromised. The New York Times was one of the biggest outlets engaged in the Russia hoax. The reporters even include some of their own previous Russian collusion hoax spin and admit key facts about Trump's actions against Russia and their bounty story. Literally nothing about the political media's use of anonymous sources 
spread Republic damage information in recent years should lead anyone to treat further anonymous sources reported with any deference. Yet the entire corporate media establishment immediately ran wild with the story and used it to suggest it was further evidence that Trump was, again, an agent of Russia President Vladimir Putin. The story dominated Tuesday, both networks, and now the story is dominating Twitter. Uh, Republicans who support uh, continuing the war in Afghanistan, and definitely, and definitely, even though it was this event, said the director of national intelligence, John Rifflet, added, I've confirmed that neither the president nor the vice president uh, were ever briefed on any intelligence alleged by the New York Times, as he reported yesterday. The White House statement addressing the issue earlier today, which denied such a briefing occurred, was accurate. The New York Times reporting and all other subsequent news reports and alleged briefings are inaccurate. Does that surprise anything? Uh, White House Intelligence Director of Strategic Communications, Melissa Farah, disputed that the intelligence was an, as airtight as it was as airtight as New York Times reporters had claimed, based on their anonymous and unaccountable sources. POTUS wasn't briefed on the reports related to Afghanistan because there was no consensus within the intelligence community on the allegations at this point. The veracity of the underlying allegations continues to be evaluated. Yet the frenzy from the media continued almost as if coordinated as part of an operation. Gee, does that surprise anybody? I mean, it's the echo chamber, right? A quick note on anonymous sourcing. Following the New York Times report, other media outlets ran with stories on the matter, also based on anonymous sources. Frequently, this was described as an independent confirmation. However, anonymous sources can't confirm anything for a reader on account of being anonymous because they are anonymous and there's no way to tell if one media outlet source or dependent from another. While this should be obvious, okay, just talk about other examples of, of how that's happened. It says what the, the criminal leakers, remember, this is a nut, these are other leaks, you know, and again, you can read the rest of the article um, as well, but I go down and scrolling down to this. The story keeps changing. The story also seems to keep changing. At first, it was about how Trump had been giving airtight intelligence and refused to shift it to how White House officials knew something or other. An Associated Press story now asserts without evidence that John Bolton, who is on the book tour right now, told colleagues he briefed Trump on the intelligence assessment in March 2019. But in a softball interview Sunday by Jake Tapper, a reporter who played a key role in initiating the false Russian collision hoax at CNN, Bolton repeatedly stressed his lack of knowledge about the story and his suspicions and might not be true. First, we have to stress there is much we do not know about this, he said. With all due respect to the highly esteemed news services you mentioned, really, highly esteemed news services? Come on, Bolton. Well, what is it? Uh, they get stuff wrong, uh, <laughs> wrong time and time again, or time to time. I, I'm the one who edits time and time again. <laughs> My only caution is before we get too far down the track, just because there are press reports doesn't mean it's accurate. After a record-breaking use of the word if from Topper, Bolton said, well, again, underlining the word if on whether it's true. You know, so, again, you no know, more stuff that's unsubstantiated. Read the rest of the article. I mean, we're at the top of the hour. So, I mean, I don't know how much you guys have been following this. I'm going to do things a little backwards here. Uh, I mean, since that, I mean, how much of this have you been hearing? How much of you have this have you been dealing with with this new, you know, trying to bring Russia back? That's exactly what they're trying to do. Yes, and the leaks that are coming out of the Pentagon, once again, you know, they're still under holdovers from uh, Brennan and, and uh, Tapper, and, uh, or Clapper, 
Thanksgiving proper. And so this isn't, again, the timing of it all coming out. And supposedly, the, uh, oh, not supposedly, the attack that occurred in 2019, they're trying to tie that to say that um, the Taliban was hired by Putin to take out American soldiers. Nothing was confirmed with that either. Um, and so if that's true, uh, as far as um, their story, as I say, then why did it take them until March to brief the president about it? Their story, their timeline, everything is just messed up. And it's just bogus, another attack on the president um, to make him appear incompetent and uh, and not wanting to do right by America. So I don't, I don't believe it. I don't put any... <laughs> I, when I saw it at first, when I heard it, I thought, okay, there's something more, so do a little bit digging in and... Um, like the article you were reading, um, things just weren't adding up. And so I came to the conclusion that it's all the uh, Thank you. Yeah, I mean, even, I mean, even before you said that, even Bolden was saying he didn't know whether it was true. I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, if yeah, Bolden, you know, trying to sell his book. How can Putin benefit by doing that? Well, you got to think about who's going to benefit by doing something like that. And putting that up. Well, yeah. I'm done my way. Another story. And now, after the pause of silence, we are entering the twilight zone. No, no, sorry. I just have to say that. <laughs> no, that's me. Yeah, just me looking at this article. That's me multitasking. I probably shouldn't do that while I'm, you know, here, but... Uh... No, no worries. Like my mom says, it's better to laugh than to cry. So it's just we had that pause for like 15 seconds and no one was saying anything. So it was like... Yeah, they, well, said, that, twilight they, said, zone that, they said that that air, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, one question Okay, well, you know what? I'm, I, I, I'll be done, you know. <laughs> were you, were you, okay. Tell us, uh, are you talking with us? Is it? You're real muffled. Is she talking with us or is she talking with somebody else? No, I'm talking to you. Uh-oh. Yeah, it was real muffled. I could barely hear you. Oh, okay. Um, the, as far as gathering together the patriots to, um, you know, protest and uh, to intimidate, I, I'm, well, I think that's a good idea. I think, and also in my opinion, you would have these agitators also jump in and turn it into something bloody, not necessarily uh, with guns, but they'll, you know, Antifa is very violent. And I think that they would turn that, turn it into a bloody war. And, you know, oh, I mean, sir, no, we need to, I, I agree. Oh, it, it, it will be. But you know what? I mean, who's the bad guys in that instance? Who's the bad guys? I mean, you know what? Then arm yourselves. You know, bring a, you know, if you have to bring a, you know, a, a concealed and carry, bring a concealed and carry, like that one guy mm-hmm. did. You know, they end up yeah. letting him off when these people jump in and shooting him. You know, I mean, that's, that's the thing is, you know, just like with this COVID thing, we mm-hmm. cease to be, we cease to be the land, you know, the land of the free. If, 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 if we're not the home of the brave, right? You know, oh, if, if, we stop being, if we stop being the home of the brave, we're, gonna, we're not going to be the land of the free anymore. 
true, true. And for that reason, I think that the Californians uh, will be occupying the beaches and having their barbecues because they're not really following the orders of the governor. He has no way to enforce it, and people know it. So, you know, <laughs> we're just doing our thing out here, which is I'm loving it. <laughs> I'm loving it, seeing it. Back to you. Anyway, as I said, I don't know why you go back and forth. You know, I don't know why you go back and forth with these uh, these liberals. It's not like they're ever going to learn anything, right? Um, and, and that's kind of where we're at. I mean, I was talking to a guy the other day, um, again, who was fixing working on my internet, and you know, he, he I mean, his family's Democrat. He's brought up Democrat. Like, I think he's going to be voting for Trump. Um, at least, you know, after our conversation, I'm pretty confident. And, and he said it's like, yeah, he goes, I got liberal friends. He goes. You know, he goes, he goes, and they say some of the stupidest things. He's like, uh, you know, I'll be debating with him. He goes, so when did you stop beating your wife? He's like, well, where did that get? Where did that come from? Is this, uh, if you're a Trump supporter, you're automatically a wife beater. Yeah, you know, yeah. they've they've become, you know, and and the thing is, is the liberal. We all know liberals. They're so good at. I don't know if they're good at it. It's so obvious, but you know, at a projection, whatever they're doing, because they're always saying, oh, Trump's unhinged. Trump's unhinged, and actually, they're the ones who are unhinged. You know, it's unbelievable. You know, they're, they're they're the ones who are who are all out of control. But hey, that's what gets attention. That's what I'm saying. Maybe we should take to the streets. Maybe that'll get some. You know, maybe that'll get some of the attention that 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 is needed. Mhm. Yeah. Maybe we should. That's what I'm saying. I wish we could take to the streets in mass. Now, of course, we're too busy working. You know, we we can't take weeks and weeks off of work because we're not getting that government check. You know that I'm sure a mm-hmm. lot of these kids are. Or, or, or we don't have liberal parents who were who would just pay our way for everything, you know, because you know either they're not in school or supposed to be in school or what have you. Or any type of sponsorship like like the liberals do with um, these companies, corporations, and Soros. We don't have any backing sponsorship to do that. Oh yeah. And and the sad part is if we had that much. And uh, speaking about our guest, Bob, giving credit where credit is due, and I, I know this is may come across the wrong way, but I'm, I'm just putting this in a logical perspective. If conservative groups would organize the, the Trump coalition, like you said, that may be underground, or the, the, the resurrection of the Tea Party movement that was so pivotal in taking back the House in 2010, uh, if we had as much passion and desire and exuberance and determination as Black Lives Matters and Antifa, although I, I believe it's for the wrong reasons that they're channeling their passions uh, to cause anarchy. But the point is, if we had that much passion, that same equal passion, but we channeled it the right way. We don't channel it the way that they are, which is to cause anarchy and chaos. Uh, I, I think we'd be on a on an even playing level, or if not a higher playing level, and 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 that's it. There is just no enthusiasm with uh, the Republican Party or conservatives overall, uh, and there's no sense of urgency for getting that Trump coalition out again, and 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 you know going down to these places where they're protesting and counter protesting. Uh, just to let the, the nation know that, hey, us conservatives, we're still here. We're still fighting. We're not hiding. You know, mm-hmm. we're here right now as we speak. 
uh, Black Lives Matters and Antifa, they have they're they are camping outside the grounds of New York City Hall. They have taken up that territory, and the police NYPD have backed off. They're not getting into that, uh, especially after the New York City Council just passed uh, a billion dollar uh, cut in the budget for the NYPD. And so uh, right now, um, that, 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 that's what we have going on. And, and that's the sad part is we don't have that exuberance. We don't have that enthusiasm. We don't have that, uh, you know, feet to the fire to come back out and counter protest. Because to most Republicans and conservatives, they're wondering, where is the silent majority? Where are we? Because we don't, if we don't make ourselves present and known, then, then we're basically non-existent. And um, one more thing I wanted to bring up, and then I'll defer to you, is a, a topic we were discussing last week about defunding the police. And, 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 and here's the thing, uh, and, and Kelly and I agree on this. You have a lot of stupid police officers that do the stupidest things that just opened up, that opened up Pandora box. The stupidest things in which Antifa and Black Lives Matters, they're just literally waiting for the next George Floyd to happen. And it all comes down to, you know, police officers, they need to be, they need, before they even become police officers, A, they need to be really vetted. And right now they're not really being really vetted. B, they, they should go under psychological, uh, you know, evaluations to really, really determine do these police officers have any psychological issues that would hinder their abilities to carry out the law in a fair and just way? Because you see the actions of a lot of these police officers, even during the protests, some NYPD officers, they pushed them down to the floor, and they were suspended. And these were innocent people. These weren't the, the anarchists. And it's like, right, that's the smartest thing to do. At a time where they yeah, wanted to fund the police, you do that in front of the cameras, right? Exactly. So I think it all comes down to we don't need to defund the police, but we need a, a whole national, a whole national revamping of the police, starting from the Just, very bottom. Is is, is 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 the vetting, the training, the psychological testing, and one more thing: how do we expect to recruit the best if police officers are paid the same salary as teachers? Therefore, it doesn't incentivize the best candidates to want to apply for a job that starts at about 40000 a year. So I think we need to have a, an overlook of all of those issues I brought in in general and a zero-tolerance policy of, hey, if you mess up, you're out. There is no excuse for anyone to be pushing people down. Oh, well, what were you going to say? Something? They can't because of the oh. unions. We need to dissolve in the unions. That's why there's bad officers being transferred to different districts to work if they've gotten a complaint Absolutely. on where they work, but the unions protect them. And so you, and you know what the most ironic thing is, Suzette, is okay. now that the unions are actually saying they're actually fighting back against de Blasio and they're fighting back against the fund, they're actually fighting back against the left and and the unions, the left, right? The unions always vote for the left, and for the first time, the unions for the police are finally seeing the left for what they are. And I think those are votes for the Trump, and because they're speaking loud and clear, and they're saying we are being thrown off the bus, we are being assaulted on every uh, avenue. And what the bad apples, 
deserve their punishment. Punish us all. We're not all bad apples, and I I couldn't agree uh, I couldn't agree more with it. So I think that this year is going to be very good. I they see they punish the, the bad apples, but they, the union they protect the bad apples, Joseph. That's what unions oh. do. That's why we have bad teachers. Exactly. Oh. But, but I think that so far from what the unions are saying is that the unions are supporting the police. And they're going to be voting for Trump because the unions are right now condemning de Blasio, condemning uh, the defend the police movement. And that's coming out of the mouth from the unions as well. So I think this year will be really interesting in seeing a lot of key voting blocks switch over to uh, to Trump. And that's all I have to say. And uh, sure. basically the, the, police union. the police union. Does, yeah, the police yeah. unions. Absolutely. Okay. Not, not the unions in general, but the police unions. Uh, uh, absolutely. Lithia, can I throw some stuff out here? Just a couple thoughts. Um, the police unions are very, very powerful. Um, at the shelter, there's a retired judge, and he's a sweetheart and very sound-minded. He's helped a lot with the shelter, but he, we were talking about this situation in Minneapolis, and he says, uh, in California, the unions are very, very strong. And what what would you do if you're suing the police for a wrongful death suit? You would find all the complaints, the in-house complaints to the police department or the sheriff's department. You would find out and put them as, you know, you're the attorney preparing a civil suit against the police department and this guy personally. You'd find you might find a long, dirty laundry list of complaints of this person being. Abusive and obviously indicating psychological problems. And the way to obtain this is called a pitches action. That's what it's called in uh, California. And so as the plaintiff, plaintiff's attorney, you file the pitches action. And this is how it works because he's a judge. He told me this. He says what happens is you file for a pitches action. Um, the defense attorney would, or I'm sorry, yeah, the defendant's attorney and the judge will meet. Or if you're suing the district attorney, also the district attorney, you file your pitches action. The district attorney and the judge meet in closed chambers. This is called an illegal ex parte action. And then they they go through and they get this information. The judge goes through it and redacts it, and then gives it to. The opposing attorney, the attorney wanting to find out how much of a bad apple this guy is. This is in place. This procedure of hiding all the bad of a police officer is there because of the unions, the police unions. Very powerful. Now, we have an answer to the challenge presented before us. Call the grand jury. Ferguson, Missouri. Grand jury acquitted the guy. I would wish that a special grand jury would be convened that also has the ability, when they're done with all of their research, all their investigation, they hold a town hall meeting. The town hall meeting um, is publicly broadcast, the public attends. Okay, Officer Smith, like Agent Smith from the Matrix, whatever. Okay, Officer Smith, we looked at this shooting situation. Um, and it was justifiable in self-defense. 
And here's why, and here's a video. The grand jury is explaining this to the public, and their sole focus is these unique situations. And so the public can ask questions in a town hall, and even the media can ask questions, and you get it out in the community. Here's our town hall. This is why we acquitted the officer. Now, when you have a Rodney King situation, a federal grand jury actually indicted all the officers because law enforcement was protecting its own. We have a system of accountability over the police. It's called a grand jury. Everyday people looking into the situation and uh, they issue a true bill of indictment or a no true bill, classically called ignoramus. But if they have a town hall meeting, the public is like, oh, I didn't see, because the media. And this retired judge, first name is Don, wonderful guy, he says, you know, I hate trial by media. They only put a few things together and they make a big story and they make big bucks. I hate trial by media because they don't know all the details. They don't understand. They don't understand. And they don't understand. I'm like, I totally agree with you. Trial by media is a disaster. And so when and I, I came up with the name, I'm actually working on legislation to do this. I call it the King Grand Jury after uh, Rodney King, Martin Luther King. Um, King Street, Mass, uh, Boston, as well as King John of England. The King Grand Jury, their sole focus is when law enforcement a situation goes bad, the grand jury gets on it right away. Now, in, in typically, typically, this is the good news, typically, I'd say 95, maybe 98 times out of 100, the grand jury does acquit the officer. When they have the ability, they they go right out on the street and they interview people. Um, They can take uh, petitions, subpoena witnesses, all sorts of people, both sides. In Klamath, um, Jackson Jackson County, Oregon, Medford, Oregon, last couple of years, there's been seven shootings. Um, Some people died from police or sheriff or even OHP, Oregon Highway Patrol. And they've acquitted six. The seventh is still under investigation. So it's a win-win when a grand jury comes forward and says, look, we support law enforcement, and we looked at all the circumstances, every which angle we could. Here we are in town hall. We're telling people it was, it was justified because this person like Michael Brown who charged the officer in Ferguson, yeah, uh, it, it's justified and we are acquitting him. We are not going to charge him, and we recommend back pay for when he had time off. Now, on the other hand, when you have a Rodney King situation, the uh, grand jury comes down as hard as nails. We're indicting him, and we're sending him to trial. And here's all the evidence we have, and we're giving it to the prosecutor. There you go. Well, what's the historical reference for all this? I'll tell you a historical reference. March 5th, 1770, King Street, Boston, there were uh, nine British soldiers who shot and killed five colonials. The governor of Massachusetts Colony, 1770, they weren't a state yet. The Massachusetts governor arrested the British officers, put them in jail, and within eight days, the first grand jury indictment was handed down. Through the month of, Mar- month of March, more indictments were handed down. They went to trial. Notice the tensions at the time Colonials versus the British, the Stamp Act, the Townsend Act. And real, oh, real, by the way, quick, Kelly, real quick, Kelly, real quick, Kelly, we only got about 
five minutes before I have to shut things down. So go ahead and finish it up. I just want to have you be mindful of how much time's left. I know we can fly, and this is probably one of those nights we could get at least another half hour to hour in, but unfortunately we don't have that, but go ahead. All right. So what? imagine the tensions, uh, 1768, Declaration of Rights. You had the Stamp Act to collect taxes to pay for the war against the French. You had the Townsend Act where soldiers would knock on somebody's door and say, we're staying at your house to collect taxes from your neighbors. A lot of tensions, which eventually led to the Revolutionary War. So the grand jury indictment within eight days, boom, went to trial. John Adams, who would be president later, defended the British soldiers. Seven were acquitted. There was a total of nine, but the two commanders, one's name was Kilroy, Matthew Kilroy, they got uh, convicted of murder. This system, before our Constitution, this system brought peace to the community and quickly. So that is a mechanism that we have. We just don't know about it. I just thought I'd throw that out, something I'm working on. It's kind of slow, but I want to see state legislation in several states to where we recognize everyday people of the community can support law enforcement. Most of the time that's what happens. Or B, um, convicts, or I'm sorry, indicts and sends them to trial. And it's a great mechanism of peace. So back to you. And we get yeah we got to do our closing comments. Each person's got about uh, about a minute and a half now um, to do that, and then I'll close things out. So we'll go with you uh, first, Joseph, and then you, Suzette, and then if you uh, if there's a few moments left there for closing comments, Kelly, then I'll have to shut things down uh, for for the week, and then we'll see you next week. Uh, go ahead, Joseph. Absolutely, I'll be very short and brief. Uh, I just want to say. Um, that I will continue to keep you and your daughter in my daily prayers and thoughts. Oh, you will overcome this, Robert. I mean it from the bottom of my heart. We all care for you. We love you very much. And to Suzette and Kelly, I always have you in my daily thoughts and prayers as well. God bless you all, and it's an honor, privilege, and pleasure to uh, to be a part of this show and especially to be a part of your lives. It means It means the world to me more than you can ever imagine. God bless and Happy Fourth of July to everyone. Thank you. Uh, appreciate uh, that. You have a ho- happy Fourth of July as well. Go ahead, Suzette. Uh, happy Fourth of July. God bless you all. God bless your daughter. She's been in my prayers, and she'll continue to be in my prayers. I appreciate it. And Joseph and <laughs> um, everybody else, Kelly, and uh, that's it for me. Thank you. And Kelly, go ahead. I got about less than a minute, and I'll have to go ahead and close things out. I would encourage people, being it's the Fourth of July on Saturday, I would encourage people to read the Declaration of Independence. There's, it's a one third, one third, one third. One third is the introduction. The one third is the specific offenses of King George and the British. The last third is. The resolve to declare independence that each and every state isn't ought to be free and independent states. I'm sorry, each and. 
These 13 colonies are and right ought to be free and independent states. They have full power to wage war, conclude peace contract alliances, and to do all other acts and things which free and independent states may of right do. Now, the first sentence, and I hopefully I'm going I'm to get into this, but it's, it's, this is from memory, okay? Because I will do this on the 4th of July. I've done this a number of times on the 4th of July. I recite the Declaration of Independence. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands they have with another and assume that separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitles them, but each in respect to the opinions of man require they declare the causes of the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator certain unable rights, unalienable rights. But among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, etc., 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 etc. And when fireworks go off, I'll recite this, or memory's a little rusty, but I'll go ahead and uh, read from it. Because it's so important that we do not forget our history. So I would encourage, if you can, read that the day before, and hopefully you'll get inspired to do this. And secondly, we don't know the future, and things are going to get really rough. At least call your cousin, your second cousin, your third cousin, your brother-in-law, whoever, in a small town for your own safety. The local police are wonderful, okay? So I would encourage people, have an exit strategy for November 3rd. Start working on it now. As in, just make some calls. Hey, how you doing? This and that. What's up? Blah, blah, blah. It's good. Things are, things are going to get rough unless Trump has a landslide. Um, so I guess I've always enjoyed this conversation. I'm glad that uh, uh, to be in continual communication, I admire and respect everybody here tonight. And uh, so I guess, anyway, good night, folks. Well, and then uh, we'll end every night. We'll hear all of it but with the song by Aubrey Ashburn. Uh, and, yes, uh, it's only be a few seconds, so I do want to say, yes, uh, let's everyone celebrate uh, Independence Day, but also – realize that our independence was fought for and, and where we may not have to and hopefully not have to fight with guns, bullet, bullets, and cannons uh, to maintain our liberty and to maintain you know, America as it is supposed to have been, the way it's designed, uh, we're going to have to go to battle. And hopefully it's going to be just a battle of words instead of a battle of weapons. But we got to get out there. we got to talk to the people who – as I mentioned last week, even if they're Democrats, let them realize this is not the Democrat Party of, uh, you know, I can't even see I'm having a brain freeze, but it's not the Democratic of uh, Kennedy. And so any fake folks, it's gonna, the show's going to end. Again, enjoy your time, be safe, and let's hopefully we can, you know, this holiday will uh, change some minds and hearts about how important America is um, and what it will be if Biden gets in. Thank you, folks. And good night. Good night.